It's over. Softball season has come to an end and simultaneously the longest and shortest year ever in the sports history. And that also means it's time for the season five finale here on the Out of the Box podcast. What a year it has been. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury sitting to my right. Tom, softball is over and it is sad. I'm sad that the season has come to an end. The Women's College World Series is always the best week and also the toughest week because you know that means everything is coming to an end. But yeah, what a what a performance by Oklahoma. What a great, so many different storylines throughout all of college softball. And I thought we got a really good job of kind of showcasing the best in the sport here this last week or so. Absolutely. You know, I got sad when Florida State was up for the last time because at that point you knew what was happening. <laughs> it was, we knew it was going to be yeah. the last time. Yeah. And I was sad because like, dang, like we don't have a game tomorrow, right. which is the worst feeling in the world. Oh, it, it was, it was rough, but uh, really, if you can just appreciate the greatness of what you were seeing overall, yeah. uh, and then just appreciate what was going on in the sport, I thought it was, it was a, a really good week for uh for everybody involved and we will address uh, oklahoma winning the national championship congratulations again to patty gasso and yeah, the suitors right six years out of the last 10 oklahoma's won the title how did they come overcome all those obstacles <laughs> all the adversity oh, of losing one whole game the season finale is a minute old and tom already has people <laughs> hunting us in the mentions let's get to our trip around the bases before you say anything else it'll get us in trouble we'll start at the plate we will talk about oklahoma winning the natty and then of course look back at team 27 a very very special year we'll preview a little bit of team 28 as well uh, but you know when we talk about these season previews the, the caveat that we have to give now because the way the sport is there's a lot that we don't know and that's simultaneously exciting while also being a little bit frustrating and nerve wracking because all of these things that I have on these sheets can change literally while we're recording. Right. Yeah. We, we have the Twitter notifications on just in case there is something that breaks as we're recording. Things can change, you know, for another month or so with people going in the portal and coming out of the portal. So, yeah, it's harder to kind of predict and project what teams are going to be year in and year out because you never know who's going to be coming and going. Yeah, and a part of that will be when we advance to first and look at our little preview for the SEC. We'll also discuss some of the big names that are in the portal again as we record. The thing we will never comment on on this podcast are rumors, but I got to say I've never heard rumors fly about the portal quite like they have this year. So again, there are a lot of things that could change by the time that you're listening to this across the country. And as always, you know, it's kind of rem reminiscent to me of like, maybe like the NFL draft, mm. you hear all these rumors and, and people are doing things for weeks or two, you know, for weeks before everything happens. And you never know who's the one starting those rumors. Are people putting rumors out just to try to do smoke screens on somebody else or something right. else happening or so that there's, uh, it's so hard to know what the information is and how reliable it is no matter who's saying it we'll do our best right. looking at what the sec could be in 2024 but that's that's why we don't comment on rumors because that's just what they are exactly stealing second patrick murphy he's back he's usually here for the finale and uh, i know that after our conversation which he was able to join us for from the o'hare airport mm -hmm. in chicago that uh that he enjoyed this year as much as we did and it was a season that i think really kind of changed him a bit in a lot of ways we don't really necessarily talk about that with him but i think it's a feeling that we both felt as the year went on you could see the entire team 
him, the coaching staff, everybody involved. I don't know if rejuvenated is the right word, but just kind of like refreshed and, and they were able, this is something we do talk to him about, actually able to appreciate what was going on as it was happening. And, you know, we're going to talk about what Team 27 did, but it was one of those where you really appreciated how special it was that you were in Oklahoma City with the people that you were there with. Mm-hmm. After that, we'll round third. Kevin! Kevin! Kevin Brown from ESPN is here. We've been trying to get this done for a while, and there was just never really a time. And He's busy. He's yeah, busy he's, he's busy. He's working with the Orioles. He's doing a lot of stuff at the Women's College World Series. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to text Kevin. And now he's coming on the pod. Awesome. Yes, very excited. This I, will not be his last appearance either. No. Noted uh, movie fan. Yes. Cinephile. Cinephile. As they movie. say. Mm-hmm. Finally, we'll head home and do all the fun stuff. We've got Tom's Hungry Podium. We've, I have thought about the podium more in the last couple weeks than probably softball. Like I, I uh, It's a hard year. It is so many great contenders. Yeah, and we've got all-name team. This is also the longest list of nominees we've ever had for all-name team. <laughs> Played a lot of games this year, Tom. We did, yes. A lot of different teams, a lot of different people. Indeed. We've got, of course, heading into the offseason off the wall. Uh, maybe it's time for me to whip out some of the receipts. Mm. We'll see. I, I, as I mentioned, I think I think I said this when Alabama uh, won the Super Regional, that this year's greatest hits of off the wall are going to be just – all-timers oh some of the things no sense made None. and then summer programming what are we gonna do maybe we'll have another special episode like the bama u bracket like the draft we'll see we know out of the box office will be back and we'll cover some of that at the very end okay i'm always excited to find this out myself yes you know me all <laughs> the plans right yes uh, maybe it's time for the sec food road trip episode that we've been talking about Ooh. with one of our friends from espn so Okay. TBD. Yeah. yeah. All, right. all things that can happen. It's a good thing we have so many friends, Greg. It, hey, are you ready for me to name drop all of them? Yeah. <laughs> Let's list everyone who has come on the podcast since its inception. Five minutes later. <laughs> no, we'll start at the plate. And we'll start with Oklahoma before we dive into Alabama. So the Sooners win the national championship. They sweep Florida State in the champ series. I thought the Seminoles uh, played pretty well. Uh, there were a couple mistakes. I know that we disagree a little bit with some of the strategy in game one and how specifically Kat Sandercock wasn't used in that game. Uh, and maybe we can talk about that as well. It doesn't matter if you don't score any runs, but that, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, Oklahoma, the greatest season ever, that is undisputed. Uh, we talked about it in the preseason. There was going to be no discussion about the non-conference strength of schedule. And OU's one loss was a non-conference game against a conference team. <laughs> Which they avenged with a sweep later on. Yes. One loss on the year. Really, really an incredible season. I still think that a discussion and a conversation can be had about who was better last year's team or this year's team, but there's no doubt that this year's team just had something cohesive about them that even if a top of the order wasn't producing, the bottom was and the pitching was as strong across the board as maybe we've ever seen from a full staff in the history of college softball. Yeah, I think that was the difference. And that's why I would probably, if I was to... Uh, make a make a choice I'd probably take this year's Oklahoma team because of that pitching staff and they could win games in whatever way you needed them to win games Uh, last year's team they were going to hit a a billion home runs and that's how they won games and it was you know good enough obviously to win the national championship but this year's team you know they could win one nothing they could win two one they could win ten to nine they could win if they were down by four runs in the seventh inning all the things, mm-hmm. you know, they, they found out the way to win, even when 
everything wasn't clicking on all cylinders. And Haley Lee, one hit in the World yeah. Series. Uh, Tiari Jennings and Jada Coleman, they had some big hits when they did have hits, but mm. overall their batting averages weren't super strong no. in OKC. The top three batters hit 200 over over the entirety of the Women's College World Series. It was 7-8-9 that scored the three runs against Florida State yesterday. You can make an argument. I, I mean, I know Jordy Ball won most outstanding player and deservedly so, but I think that the most impactful player for OU maybe all year was Riley Boone, FGCL. I mean, think about all the close games that they had and how she was the one that started the rallies and how even when OU wasn't torching people in the World Series, it always seemed to be Riley Boone that got things started or got the big hit or just found a way to generate momentum. Yeah, and somebody like a Haley Lee obviously was a big pickup in the transfer portal. I think their biggest pickup was Alex Straka Mm -hmm. uh, because it made it to where Jordy Ball didn't have to pitch all the time uh, they could be more selective on when they did throw Jordy out there and not have a huge drop off you bring in somebody who's who's an all-american talent herself with Straco with Nicole May as well so I that's why that I think that's what really separated this year's team from anything else that they've had is they had that true pitching staff even if it wasn't their number one they could throw anybody out there and they were capable of you know holding the other teams scoreless is there anything you want to say about the Florida State side our, our disagreement was on Kat Sandercock not starting in game number one. And, and I think that was kind of a situation I saw with a lot of teams when they played Oklahoma this year. This even goes back to Tennessee playing mm-hmm. Oklahoma in the winner's bracket game uh, earlier on. I, I don't think this was actually what Karen Weekly was thinking, but I think it's what it comes across as. She thought her better path to make it to the championship series of Women's College World Series was to go through the loser's bracket and beat Florida State twice as opposed to trying to beat Oklahoma once. How you don't pitch either Peyton Gottschall or Ashley Rogers in your in a chance to beat Oklahoma where you only have to play them the one time. We saw it, and I think and that translates to the game one with Florida State. We saw so many teams and so many coaches try to loophole their way, backdoor away around, try to outcoach or outthink Patty Gasso as opposed to just putting your best people out there and trying to win the game. Mm. Um, which I, I think when you have a team, the caliber, because, you know, 95, 98% of college softball, that's the only way you're going to beat Oklahoma. You're trying, trying to find, a, you know, a way to backdoor your way in. Somebody like Tennessee or Florida State had the capability in a one-game scenario to win if you throw your best. And I just, I didn't think that Lonnie Alameda threw her best in game number one. The better chance would be, and again, it, did, it became a moot point because they Florida, didn't score. Florida State didn't right. score. But say Florida State had scored. <laughs> Your better chance, I think, would be Kat Sandercott going out there and pitching a complete game as opposed to trying to throw the all-staff out there and have Sandercott come in and save. All right, so my counter is this. I, I think with Tennessee, it's a little bit worse because they threw their number three against Oklahoma. You can make the argument that Mac Leonard, who, again, this is not a surprise. Mac and I, very close. Uh, I'm very proud of her. I know I know how much that home run in particular in game two meant to her and meant to her family uh, just because of what she's gone through in her life. You can make the argument that Mac was Florida State's number two based on the postseason performance. And I think the biggest mistake for me wasn't necessarily starting Mac, but it was not bringing in Sandercock when they made that first change. When Mac Leonard left the game in the fourth inning, there was a runner on first, nobody out in a scoreless game. 
I know Lonnie said they weren't bringing in Cat until they had a lead in game one. I can make the argument that scoreless in the fourth is basically like having a lead yeah. against Oklahoma. Sure. Like you can't you can't miss out on that chance. And in but particular, they didn't want to bring her in and then it go nine, ten innings. Sure. And then she's burned for the next game. Sure. I would also say, though, that bringing in McKenna Reed, all due respect to the freshman who had a great year, she had struggled in the World Series with illegal pitches. And we know that Oklahoma is better at hitting stuff up in the zone than down. Like, we have the stats that back that up. And we know Oklahoma doesn't get called for illegal pitches. <laughs> well, Tom. Sorry, sorry. Tom, no! Sorry, go, no! no! Uh, but right. either way, I, I thought that that was the part that really frustrated me because – like you, you got the three scoreless innings right. from Mac Leonard. You, you it, executed what you had asked from her, mm -hmm. and that had been the plan in a lot of scenarios. Start somebody else one, two times through the order. If you're scoreless, if they score a run, then you bring in Cat. We saw it against Washington. We saw it against Tennessee. Like we saw it throughout sure. that. We saw it against Georgia mm -hmm. in uh, Game Two of that Super Regional. But I think I think we're kind of arguing the same thing because I think her the plan was always though. We're going to throw Reed in between Leonard and Sandercock to give that different look. Right. Yeah. So I, I think we're both saying that's not the right plan. Yeah. <laughs> that the plan should have either been my thought would have been Sandercock from the beginning or go just from Leonard to Sandercock. Yeah. I think you're gambling as well as Mac Leonard had done. You're you were gambling on the fact that she was going to be able to hold Oklahoma down, which yeah. she did. She but, did. Right. But the chances of her doing that were probably less than a chance of Sandercock doing it. That's fair. I mean, so, we saw Cat hold them down until I believe the fifth in game right. two. Again, I, I just think we, we saw too many teams this year, and especially in the postseason, who had the capability of beating Oklahoma in a one game scenario, try to do it with some other fashion of let's just put our best people out there and try to win the game. We saw Clemson do that mm -hmm. with Cagle. And they did it six and two thirds. They almost made it happen. They were so close. Right. So yeah, I, we, we saw Clemson even more so almost execute what Florida State tried in game one yeah. when they brought, I mean, they brought in Cagle and it was seven, four, like you should have been sure. fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, I just think that we saw too many teams not just try to beat Oklahoma with their best. Still more often than not, Oklahoma is still going to win that game. Right. But, but you got to give yourself your best chance. One last thing before we dive into the Alabama of it all dominate dominant different words mm. we gotta stop this people i have seen too many folks on twitter say wow this was such a dominate team no dominate is a verb dominant is an adjective these are not the same we've got to learn the english language it really frustrates me i've seen alabama fans do this i've seen everybody on twitter do this dominate dominant different words come on people I needed to get that off my chest. I wanted to tweet about it, but then I don't want to be the grammar tweeting guy. Yeah. So I'm going to be the podcast speaking grammar guy. Sure. Insane. Dominant, dominate, different words. Agreed. Thank you. Yes. Team 27. What a special year it was. A team that never quit. Uh, there was a lot of adversity this year. Some that we'll probably talk about, some that we won't talk about. That'll that'll come out in the book. Bama, you all over them? Oh, the name of the book? Indeed. Yes. Uh, with Jaden Spencer <laughs> right. on the cover. Ribs. <laughs> eating ribs on the cover. <laughs> People would be so confused. It's like, <laughs> was she eating what ribs? What is this book about? What? <laughs> this was especially a year, as I can recall, and... For me, this was kind of the first senior class that I've seen start to finish. Now, of course, the one I only saw start to finish 
was Montana Fouts, uh, but we saw Faith Hensley, Ashley Prangy, and Allie Shipman finish their careers here. But I, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like for me, what made this team so close to my heart this year was A, watching them battle despite all the doubt, despite all the hate. Yes, for many of the people listening to this pod uh, who posted things on social media that we'll get to later, but also just because there was a there was an innate closeness about this team that somehow involved us. Like I felt looped in with the family this year. Think of all the weird little pregame routines that we had with the players this season, the things that we would say to them before the games. Uh, it, it felt like just one true giant family. And I think we talked about it in postgame after the Stanford loss. This felt like a revitalization of Bama U, of what Alabama softball is all about. And it's just, it was really good to see that back this year. Just a really tight-knit group all the way around. And a lot of times when you see a team that is that tight-knit, they kind of exclude everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's like anybody that came on the road, but they kind of just... Everybody was brought in. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's a rare thing for it to happen in that fashion. I think a lot of that be, came because of the people leading it. Uh, you know, Fouts, Prangy, and Shipman in particular, you know, they, they kind of cultivated that culture that fits so well into what Bama U had, had been before and what it kind of re- restored this season. And again, that's not taking away from any of the, the previous teams, uh, but, when, when it, something is really, really special, you can you kind of feel it, and you feel felt it as it was happening. Yeah. For somebody like Montana Fouts, the fact that in the final, like the montage, the the music video at the end of the Women's College World Series this year that goes through all the highlights, there were a lot of a lot of really great players that saw their careers come to an end. Bailey Klingler, yeah. Ashley Rogers, a lot of people we've been talking about for the last five years. Yeah, that they you know they saw their career come to an end. But it was Montana Fouts, whose team went 0 and 2 in the Women's College World Series, who kind of who got the you know what a great career got the snippet from her post game, and, and that that was kind of featured. Um, yeah, I, I I've never seen a player from a team that didn't make a run really in Oklahoma City get as much praise and as much focus as Montana Fouts did in the post game and in games moving on in the tournament, just kind of showing how much she meant not just to Alabama, but to college softball as a whole. And we'll talk specifically about the seniors in just a moment. I guess one more little nugget about Team 27, though. You know, a lot of people last year, when all the stuff happened at the end of the season with Team 26, people were like, how did you not see it? And I'll be honest, I, I missed a lot of it. There were a lot of things that surprised me. Being around Team 27 showed me a lot of what was missing from Team 26. And one thing that really stuck out to me was how after that Stanford game, incredibly emotional night, uh, who's surprised, I'm sobbing there in the lobby. Right, yeah. And we're all, you know, me, you, Nate, Sherry, we're all standing in the back a little bit, letting the parents talk to the players. And the players came to us to hug us, to let us know how much they appreciated us. And we returned the favor. And uh, that was something that I can't, I, it was a feeling that I couldn't really describe that told me like, uh, yeah, like everything I thought about this team was real. And uh, I, I really appreciated that. Oh, for sure. Even with uh, with you blubbering during the the post game, although being still very uh, coherent, I it's really, really. I, you know, I'm getting better at it. It's like <laughs> speaking through Saz while also making like kind of you know emphatic points. Sure, I, I'm. Right. You know, it's a skill. Yeah. It's something that you mine <laughs> over the years. Right. Yes. Uh, but even with that, everything else was going on. I I was holding it together pretty well. I think. 
there was one time where I heard you kind of, I, I've gone back and listened. Yeah. There was one time we were talking about Montana and I was like, Ooh, wow. Oh, yeah. Tom is close. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was when I said that her name was written crimson flame. Yeah. yeah. And then I said something and I heard you go, mm. Mm. I was like, Oh, <laughs> we're yeah, get, 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 <laughs> hang yeah, in there partner. Hang in, yes. Can't be both of us. <laughs> one of us has to hold on here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but it was when Montana came over and gave me a hug and, and said like what you was talking about. That's when I really lost it. And that was just kind of, encapsulating the whole thing and but that being said you know and i know you're going to talk with murph about it too but how great she was she still took pictures smiling and signed every autograph that anyone asked her for alabama and montana in particular were kind of like the darlings of the beginning of the women's college world series yeah like if you weren't an oklahoma or oklahoma state fan in oklahoma you were probably at least wanting alabama to do well and cheering for montana she was already that popular to begin with but then her fighting through the knee injury kind of, I think anybody else that was kind of on the fence, I've seen so many people say, I don't like anything about Alabama, but I, I love Montana fouls <laughs> like, and, and, and love what she, what she does. And, yeah. Uh, I think that just kind of encapsulated everything. So let's specifically look at the seniors and, and the departures in particular. There are a couple that have officially been announced for the portal. One, we even know where she's going and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but Let's start with the people who are out of eligibility, and we're going to start with the People's Queen. And we've spoken a lot about Montana Fouts. We will continue to speak a lot about Montana Fouts on this podcast. A player that we had heard about before she even stepped on campus, which is rare for us. I'm going to be honest. You know, you hear rumblings right as the season ends about somebody coming in, and you get really excited. Montana was somebody that I heard about my second weekend of calling games with you. Yeah. Like, and that was a couple years before she even threw a pitch for Alabama. She came on as a freshman and dazzled us. And then she got better and better. And she faced hardships. She faced adversity uh, this year. She faced injuries uh, that, that stopped what I think was her statistically most dominant season. I know she had a better ERA her freshman year. This year she had more in the toolbox. And to watch her come back and fight to finish her career on her terms in OKC is as storybook as it gets, an unreal person, an amazing family, a player that I'm just going to flat out miss, like, and not just because of what she did in the circle, but just, I mean, the conversations and, and the fun chats that we would have pregame, our little pregame ritual, I'm going to miss her. And, and the footprints that she has left, the stamp that she has put on this program, uh, they'll never go away. A legacy that is going to be more than just what she did on the field and what she did on the field was amazing. The fact that uh, she helped, you know, bring about, like we just talked about, about Bama U as a whole coming back, reinvigorating it and revitalizing it. And that's directly because of what Montana Fouts did both on and off the field. An amazing person and is, uh, we called her the people's queen for a reason and uh, the face of college softball. And that's what she was and, um, and what she brought to this team and this university will uh, continue to live on for years to come. And she grew as a leader as well. Right. I think this year we saw such a different kind of leadership from her. And I think she knew that she had to be a different kind of leader right. because of the way the team is formulated, honestly, because of what happened with team 26 as well. It was a, a different Montana this season in more ways than one. And it again made me really proud of her, just just the growth that she showed as a person, let alone as a player, throughout her five years on campus. Yeah, I think she found out, and I think everybody involved kind of uh, rediscovered, I should say, that 
the best teams are the ones that are led by the players. Mm-hmm. The, the players have to take they have to take ownership. Yeah, and that's that's what this team certainly did is because of that off the field leadership of people like Fouts and and Prangy Shipman, Hensley, everybody involved that this team was able to make uh, the market did make. Faith Hensley, one year in the program after four successful years at Ball State. I know this year in particular probably didn't go the way that she had planned, but somebody that I was really happy came and spent her final year with Alabama, somebody who was always a shining beacon of positivity and who I think really left her mark as well on the program and will be another person that I'll miss calling their names going forward. Yeah, somebody that was always that brought, like you said, that positivity. She was always uplifting anybody that was around her. Despite us potentially, quote unquote, bullying her at Trivia (laughs) Night. Right, yeah, you know. Just well, we had to induct her into it. Was, it was her table's fault. Sure, right. It wasn't her. It no, was her table. Indeed. Yeah, get the questions. Get the <laughs> answers in quicker. Get them in. Move them in. Oh, yeah. So Faith, a great career overall, and I'm very excited to see what she does going forward, whether it's in softball or just in life. Yeah. Uh, Ashley Prangy, we know what she's doing next. We will be calling her games this summer with the Florida Vibe. I know I'll be doing a few when they come up to Nashville. I might even give you a night off when I'm down in Florida and do one of the Vibe games. Who's to say? But she's not done with softball. And, man, what a find for Alabama out of the portal. We talked about it a lot. We did a podcast from Florida about the additions. We spent a lot of time talking about Allie Shipman. And we spoke a little bit about Ashley Prang. He said, oh, wow, what a great addition. We'll see if she can break the starting lineup. Even that fall. Right. We were like, mm, you know, some good moments. But by the end of her career, she was one of the most consistent hitters that I've seen at Alabama for over a month. You know, just just getting the big hit, drawing the walk. She did such a great job of developing, especially this year. At the end of the season when the decision was made to put her back up in the leadoff spot because she was being the, the most consistent and productive hitter on the team, um, it had to be done, and, and it really kind of helped this lineup be able to produce what they were able to produce. Yeah, she was not the most heralded uh, transfer coming in, uh, but found a home here in Tuscaloosa, really put her nose to the grindstone, and this year in particular, uh, really kind of established herself as one of the most feared hitters in the entire conference. And I remember how surprised we were when she wasn't on the preseason uh, team for the conference and we said well she's going to be on the postseason one and, yeah. and, and there she was one of my favorite people to laugh with as well we have teased it we'll see if she still wants to do it but there is a potential for a prangy corner segment sure. next year on the pod just moments with prangy just give her like three minutes to tell a story <laughs> let her cook i see mean what happens. i want to hear about the yacht story we'll oh, see wow. there's a lot to yeah, cover with actually prangy yeah ali shipman uh this is I get, I'm going to say it a lot about a lot of people. One of my favorite, one of my favorite players we've ever covered, uh, an incredibly special person who could speak so eloquently. I mean, that's one thing about the Shipmans is they're all really good with people, mm-hmm. but Allie had that immediately. And sometimes when people join this program, it, it takes a second for them to get comfortable with us, right. you know, because we're not there every day. We're there for the games. We're there for the occasional practice. We're there for fall ball. We were having, pretty substantial conversations with Allie, like the minute she was on campus and that just grew, that friendship grew. I know that I'm just going to miss interacting with her 
while she's getting stretched out at spa dilts pregame. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so proud of her. I think it's so fitting that her career was able to finally end in OKC, that her sister was able to be there to watch. Uh, the most emotional that I got watching back, because a lot of people were tweeting about it, was the camera cutting to Madison in the stands watching as Allie had her final collegiate at bat. And after all that Allie dealt with, the disappointment of injury her freshman year, the disappointment of never getting to supers multiple times at multiple schools for it to be her that has the key hit in regionals and in supers to get her team to the world series and for her career to end there is as magical as it gets. Yeah. It would, it really would have been a shame if Allie Shipman had never been able to play in Oklahoma city, same thing with Ashley Brangy. And I was so, I was so glad that they both got to be able to, uh, to end their career there. Uh, taking the team, especially as Team 27, to the Women's College World Series. And uh, you're right, Allie Shipman, from the moment she stepped on campus, it's like she had been there for, for a decade already. Yeah. Uh, she, she just stepped right in. Uh, one of my favorite memories is going to be actually from last year uh, when we were at one of the Italian restaurants before, I can't even remember what that series was it was. That was LSU. It was LSU, okay. Yeah. Uh, and we somehow got put at the table that was actually in a separate kind of off room and it was with the juniors and seniors from last year's team all together and that's i think that's when we really got to start really getting to know them yeah um, got to know tal a lot better yeah. ship yeah i i still don't know if i've laughed as much <laughs> during <laughs> during a an evening on a road trip than we did that evening uh with those ladies and it was just and you kind of could tell from even from that that this team has a really good core and you could tell what they were able to develop into for this this season uh, and a lot of it was because of people like uh, Prangy Shipman and, and Montana. Again a very special family. Uh, love the Shipman parents to death. Oh yeah. Love the fact that we have gotten to know Madison in, in a different way because Allie was with the program. I finally met JT, Allie's boyfriend a, mm-hmm. a while ago which was he's great. I, I mean just what, what a class. What, what a senior class. A senior class that was kind of a found group you know, again, there's only one person here who started her career at Alabama, but they all leave a part of Bama U. That's a little bit of like the changing of the uh, the overall atmosphere of college softball and college athletics right now is that, you know, you're going to have to be able to incorporate transfers. So a lot uh, of uh, credit goes to somebody like Montana or somebody that, that was uh, warm to begin with, bringing them in. But also, if you are a transfer coming in, you have to be willing to buy completely in you got right. you got to jump in with both feet and uh, these ladies did that speaking of transfers there are a couple people who have gone in the portal and we'll talk about them here aubrey barnhart we we were anticipating that she stepped away from the team pretty early on i think right after the samford the first samford game and uh, a, a really really great kid again we're not gonna tell her story that's not for us to do um, but she has already picked Texas Tech, so she'll be going with our friend Craig Snyder, who I believe follows at out of the box underscore pod on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aubrey, a kid that we really, really enjoyed getting to know, and we certainly wish her well. Uh, we will see her this summer in summer ball. She'll be playing in the MCCL, so I'll see her up in Nashville. And her grandfather, I was DMing him a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was just saying, like, you know, I can't wait to see Aubrey when we get up to Nashville and give her a big old hug because I missed her being around the team this season. Right. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, uh, we, we loved Aubrey, and, and uh, I know she had a, a good time in, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I know some certain things just wasn't, weren't really coming together for her like, like she wanted them to. 
And uh, I think both of the people that we're about that we're talking about is the reason why the transfer portal, the good things, yeah. why it exists is, you know, to give players that opportunity and make it easier if things aren't going the way that, that, that they are wanting to, and they don't see it changing, then, you know, be able to e- make it easier for them to make a move. Yeah. And the other person is Jordan Stevens, who is as Bama U as it gets. And, sure. and it is not an anti-Alabama thing that she's going in the portal. We I don't think either one of these. No, are. I right. totally agree. And I've already had that conversation with Jordan and she has expressed how much she loves Alabama and loves the program and loves the people trying to go somewhere where she has a great opportunity to get a little bit more action. Uh, and when we talk about the returners, outfield very clogged. So I, sure. I understand it. Uh, but Jordan is, again, a friend. I mean, somebody that we chat with more than most players before games and another player that we'll see this summer as she goes to the FGCL and prepares to take us back to her homestead. Of course. Her uh, rite of passage, yes. the Columbia Restaurant. Right. She, she is... She is next in line, yes. I think, of the Columbia uh, lineage. Uh, yeah, so same thing we we're just talking about with, with Aubrey is with Jordan. Like you said, as Bama used that, she's the one that has the, the foam fingers in, in the dugout, and she loved her time here. But it's, it's like, all right, I, my dream was to come play at Alabama. She did. She came to, came to play at Alabama, uh, but now she wants to be able to play on a more consistent basis. And, yeah. And we say unless something drastically changed, that might not have been in the cards in Tuscaloosa, but there's going to be a lot of places where it is in the cards, and hopefully she will land in that right spot. And we'll be pulling for Aubrey and Jordan wherever they go. Absolutely. They're very special people, and they mean a lot to us and mean a lot to the Alabama fan base. And uh, I know that you know the portal is something new. We've talked about this. It, we're not super uh, strong into the portal era, but we've got a lot of experience. We've seen it affect teams across the country. And as you said, I think very eloquently last year, everybody goes in the portal for different reasons. And we don't need to chastise those folks yeah. for whatever reasons they might be that they might want to, to just get a change of scenery. There are a lot of factors that go into going into the portal. And uh, I think What's important for all the fans out there is to just make sure that you respect the decision, you wish them well, and you get excited about who Alabama might bring in themselves. Yeah, because it's not just going to be people leaving. People are going to come in, too, as we've just talked about. People go in for different reasons, uh, and a lot of times, it's none of our damn business why. Amen. And now we turn the page. Team 28, Tom. Yes. Are you ready? Not really. I'm not really ready to let go of Team 27. Like I, I said they were They were so special to us, but... Again, part of the the cycle of college athletics, that new team's coming in, and uh, you got to turn the page. It's the se- – I'm not going to say <laughs> No, please, please. So we've already had a portal announcement, and we'll talk to Patrick Murphy about it a little bit later. Uh, Kayla Beaver. Yes. Coming from Central Arkansas, a top 25 National Player of the Year finalist this year, a great career with the Bears of UCA. She'll have one season in Tuscaloosa, and really excited to see – Kayla Beaver in a Crimson Tide uniform. She said in her statement that this is something she's dreamed about since she was eight years old. A really talented arm that I think with a little bit of molding from Lance McMahon can be pretty darn impressive next year. There are a couple things that I'm excited to see Lance work on her with based on the tape that I saw in preparation of regionals. And I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited that Kayla Beaver is coming to be with the Tide. I think the most important thing that it does is it takes a little bit pressure off the returning pitchers and the true freshman pitchers coming in for the Crimson Tide. Uh, at the same time, 
you know, there is pressure, but it's not as much on Beaver in particular because she doesn't have to be a lights out ace when she gets here. There are a lot of other really good pitchers on this team. Let's go to the returners. Yes. Uh, there are a lot of seniors. Of which, yes. Oh my God. Oh Lord. Senior days galore. So the grad student slash fifth year, I really don't know how to clarify. They're in the final year of eligibility. Right. Uh, the COVID year, the last year of a COVID this year. This is it. This is the last, everyone will be kind of back to what they're supposed to be after this next couple of year. We think. Yes. As long as there's not another pandemic. Oh gosh. I'm done with once in a lifetime right. health situations. That'd be great. So here are all the people who are in their final year of eligibility. Lauren Essman, Jenna Johnson, McKay Gibley, Bailey Dowling, Emma Broadfoot, Jayla Torrance, KJ Haney, Cat Grill. It's a lot of people. Uh, you've got, I, I think, a, a leader in Jenna Johnson who really stepped up in that facet this year. And I think that we saw her play a little bit more free as the year went went on. And uh, I can't help but think about that that play against Stanford where she ripped one up the middle and Vodder deflected it right to the second baseman. And, you know, sometimes ah, it's not your day. Right. I think we saw Bailey Dowling kind of free herself up a little bit and now you're just looking for a little bit more consistency but you know what the ceiling is and the ceiling is incredibly high for bd and then jayla torrance who really exploded onto the scene in the ncaa tournament you could argue she was the biggest story nationally in regionals so those three along with this entire class it'll be great to see kj haney back and healthy and knowing the power that she has in the bat and knowing how hungry she is to just get back on the field in general uh this is a group that i'm really excited about yeah it's a really good group that will be a foundation for team 28 kj haney would not be surprised if this is not necessarily her last year she probably has a red shirt possibility that's right an injury red shirt available too but you know jenna johnson in particular you know, had the home run against Northwestern off the foul pole. It really seemed as though at some point this year, uh, something unlocked for her to where she is able to kind of just let it go and, and play freely, like you mentioned. And I think that's going to be very important uh, for her moving forward offensively. Same thing with Bailey Dowling is that, you know, just everybody just try to stay out of your own head. Just go out there and play with the talent that you have and uh, everything's going to Everything's going to work out fine, I promise. Yeah, and Lauren Essman, I mean, there were so many glimpses there of what she could do. Sure. And I think, you know, Coach Murphy will talk about it. The Indiana performance sticks out. There were a lot, there were great moments there. Pitched well in the World Series. Yes. And I think a full offseason with Lance McMahon is going to help that and help her unlock that more. Emma Broadfoot, an interesting case because now third base is open. You know, she played third base mostly at UNA. Do we see Broadfoot at first? Do we see her move over to third and have Esmond at first? Do we see somebody else that we're not even talking about coming in and doing that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is an unusual year for Alabama because usually it's the outfield that has some more question marks. But now uh, the infield is the one where we're not sure where everyone's going to land. But it's not because... Uh, there's not enough good players because there's too many good players. Right. Uh, and and, we'll, and again, and, with the portal, you never more, know. More could be coming. So uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see where everybody lands. But I think uh, Emma Broadfoot definitely, you know, had a really good start, struggled a little bit once she got into conference play, but at towards this last month of the season, uh, really picked it up. And uh, she was really good uh, defensively at first base too. Redshirt junior is Alex Salter who again has had kind of similar to last year, true moments of brilliance. 
you know, we talked a lot at the end of last season about the Missouri performance, about how she was able to pitch so admirably when Lexi Kilfoyle was was out. And this year we saw the win at Tennessee. We saw a complete game shutout against Mississippi State. Kind of tailed off at the end of the year. Maybe there were things there that we didn't know about either uh, in terms to, uh, of her health. But I think that with Alex Salter, you have seen clear growth year to year. And if she can continue to take that jump and continue to, to dive on in, head on into the culture like I feel like she did this year, then uh, she can be another certainly reliable arm on Team 28. Absolutely. And, I, and that's another another one where the addition to Kayla Beaver will, will certainly help that because yeah. you're not going to necessarily be relying on Alex Alter to you know be a Friday night starter or necessarily even start at some point every weekend, but she's going to be an option for you. And when she does, come and she's in, so different from everybody right, else on staff. Yeah, it's such a good option yeah. matchup wise. Yeah, you just like a lot of these other players we're talking about just going to need to continue to work toward that consistency. Junior, there's only one junior left, and maybe there's a conversation to be had there at a later time. But it's Callie Hevlin, who, as we talked about in post game after Stanford, made maybe the biggest jump from year to year. I think Callie was the best defensive player on the field more often than not yeah. this past season. And the bat, while inconsistent, uh, had enough big moments that you like the trajectory that she is on. And I am really, really excited to see Callie in 2024, because if she keeps building, then next year we're going to see a player that you can rely on in big moments. Yeah, definitely brought that defense. Uh, you really got to start to see the pop that Coach Murphy's been talking about for her since she stepped on campus, ended up second on the team in, in uh, home runs. And then so if you can just bring that batting average up just maybe 20 points and have that consistency throughout the entire entire season because you know this was the first year where she was a starter almost the entire year she had yeah. there was a couple of weeks there where she was in and out but for the most part you know she kind of she hit that wall that a lot of people hit but then once she got past that uh became a a really dangerous bat in this lineup so uh you, you love what she does defensively and love what she brings power wise and if you can just get a hit or two more a week from Callie Hevlin, she's going to be, you know, possibly an all-conference type player. Yeah. Sophomore class is big. Uh, Kristen White, Abby Dukesher, Larissa Pruitt, Marley Giles, Kinley Cahalan. Kinley, we know how good she's going to be. I, we've talked about it. This year is going to look so weird in retrospect when we yeah. close out her career and see the final stats. Kristen White, she is going to be so good. I, I don't think people understand the potential that she has. And we saw it in the postseason, not quite as much in the World Series because teams just play better defense against her. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't necessarily bad at bats, but K-Dub has got such a high ceiling. I think the same for Larissa Pruitt kind of had a, a bit of a struggle in the postseason, but we saw at the tail end of the regular season and then the SEC tournament, what her potential is. Marley Giles, home run in the World Series. You kidding me? I mean, <laughs> right. incredible. And we know that she will probably have an increased role next season with Allie Shipman being gone and Marley being uh, as it stands right now, besides KJ, the only catcher on the roster. I know Emma Broadfoot caught occasionally, but that's probably not the ideal spot for Emma this year. And Abby Dukesher, who clearly grew as the year went on and she will get more opportunities. She will be in the mix potentially for first base next year if Emma moves over to third. So a freshman class that will be sophomores next year that I think you feel really, really good about. I have never seen you as physically worn out as when you tried to play one-on-one -on -one with Abby Dukeshire basketball. Oh, Lord. Yeah. 
I would I would suggest not doing that again. I tried uh, to play off. Yeah. And she just was like, okay, yeah, knock good. down jumpers. Like, yeah. This entire class of sophomores now for Team 28 will learn and grow so much just from the experience of going to the World Series this year and everything that this team went through. I think it's going to be most beneficial for these uh, these five players. We say, you know, we definitely think Kristen White, Larissa Pruitt have locked down the outfit along with Jenna Johnson, Kinley Kahalen. Uh, again, she, she should just now be graduating high school, but got to play a freshman year uh, at Alabama and help lead the Crimson Tide to the World Series. All five of these players, I just think are going to be in a rocket ship moving forward. And then the newcomers that you'll have, I'm not quite sure the eligibility of Kendall Clark. She's a JUCO transfer. I, I guess I think, she would yeah. be a junior. Right. Sophomore. I think I'm not sure. Junior. Right. Okay. Either way, Kendall Clark is coming. And as I was prepping for the FGCL, I somehow got on her stats page and I was like, oh hmm. boy. Okay. Right. So she's not playing in the FGCL. She's not playing in the FGCL. No. She is a teammate who is. And I accidentally clicked on a page that took it to Kendall's stats that year. Mm, yes. I was like, holy shnikes. Come on in. Okay. Uh, and again, we'll see how the adjustment to the SEC affects her, but sure. certainly the potential is there. Uh, Lauren Johnson, Jenna's sister, coming in. She's an outfielder. And then Jocelyn Brisky, a freshman pitcher out of Arizona, who we've been hearing about from our dear friend Erica Beach for a couple of years. Uh, she seems like somebody who could make a real dent, certainly in the circle, and uh, will be interesting to watch this year with, with a bigger staff than normal. For Alabama, you know, we've seen outside of 2021 when everybody got the extra year, mainly three, four, occasionally five pitchers. This year, there are five and maybe a sixth. Who knows? Who knows? Right. Yeah. But I think we're now to the point now in college softball where you have to have a staff. And we'll talk with Patrick Murphy about this specifically. But uh, when you don't have somebody like Montana Fouts, five almost becomes the minimum. Yeah. Like you have to be able to throw numerous different looks at different teams because everyone is so good <laughs> they have su such good hitters that everyone has video on everyone everyone has right. such a breakdown of what everybody does it's going to be so hard for pitchers to go more than two times through the order without giving up stuff so um I i'm really glad to see that this is a going to be a staff of at least five really excited about team 28 and Again, there is so much that's going to change before then, but the it's off season will be a ride, and I it'll get us to February somehow. Oh, for sure, yeah. And you know, when we when we see fall ball, we'll see some of these players in action. We'll be able to give you more on the true freshmen coming in and on uh, the at least one transfer, if not a few more. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of time spent at the plate. Sure. But it was a wild year it was. that needed to be dissected. And extended at bat. Yes, indeed. But now we've put it in play. Who are we? In, in honor of the seniors, should we be Faith, Ashley, and Allie? Yeah, let's all do it. All three of them. Let's, yeah. All three of them. But we're only <laughs> combined getting to first sure. well, somehow. You know. yeah. we'll, we'll find a way. <laughs> when we come back, we'll look at the rest of the SEC. There are a lot of people, big people, who are gone. A lot of people. Who's pitching? I, well, that's a question for multiple teams. We'll dive into that when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Hey! Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We finally put it in play and advanced to first here on the show. Greg Robertson, Tom Canterbury. So many foul balls during the opening 
What are Kevin and Amanda calling the game? What's going on? (laughs) The SEC. We've covered Alabama. The SEC is going to be really, really fascinating. And I did my best once again. Caveat here, as always. Eligibility, still a little muddling. I did my best. Uh, And Portal, a lot can change. Again, I, I didn't look into the recruiting classes because didn't have a ton of time. We're prepping for two summer leagues now. But I did my best to try and figure out who's leaving and who's staying at the SEC schools. Okay. So let's take a look. I trust you. Thank you, partner. Yes. No, that's why this works. Seven years together. We will start with the uh, regular season champions, the tournament champions, and the team that finished their season last, the Tennessee Lady Vols. Gone is Ashley Rogers. Great career. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad for her sake that it ended in OKC because we said for years she's too good to keep losing in regionals. She's pretty much it, departure-wise. Now, Lair Boutte, as we record today, did announce that she's going in the portal. There are a couple, quote-unquote, decisions to make by people who have the extra year. That's Mackenzie Donahue and Peyton Gottschall. Pretty sure they'll be back. And beyond that, Pooney, Malloy is coming back. She's announced that. Pickens, Gibson, Brockenbro, Kutsoyanopoulos, like White Taylor at... <sighs> Tennessee is not going to look all that different next season. Now, it's, it's interesting that even with the loss of somebody like Ashley Rogers, Tennessee still might be uh, the odds-on favorite to repeat as, as conference champions after having such a great year this year with probably the, the best returning player overall with Kiki Malloy coming back. And that offense is going to continue to be outstanding. Now we just go in the order that I put these, which I don't know what the rhyme or reason was, but here we are. Arkansas. Shanice Dels leaves, as does Christina Foreman, who spent her last year after transferring from Duke with Arkansas. Shanice Dels, uh, impressive this year, much more impressive, I think, what she did this year than last year. I'm going to be honest, because I thought this season teams would hit her a little bit more. Didn't happen. She was spectacular. Everybody else is back. Reagan Kramer, left field menace, returns. (laughs) How is she not done? she's just a junior next year, Tom. The Cammons and Twins, you've got Robin Heron who showed some flashes. Kylie Halverson is back. Hannah Gamble will be back for her senior year. Hoffman, uh, Rylan Hedgecock has one more year. I assume she's coming back, and uh, she really exploded this season. So, again, with Arkansas, we talked a lot this year about youth. Uh, That youth will get older, and I guess the next question will be who's going to be the ace in that pitching staff next season. Is it somebody on the roster or do they go and get somebody else from the portal? Cause I mean, they, they've gotten big names in the portal before, right? but it seems as though Courtney Diefel does a little bit more building from, you know, a really good freshman class that she just brought in. So uh, we'll see if they go grab any big fish that are available. The Florida Gators. This is a fascinating situation. Departures. Sharla Eccles, tip of the cap, Mm -hmm. incredible RBI producer for multiple, multiple seasons. Sam Bender is gone. Elizabeth Hightower is gone. Not the greatest last season, but man, what a good career and a steady career for the Gators. And Pal Egan is gone. They've had some portal moves. Lexi Delbray went in. That's a big name. Sam Rowe, that's somebody else that we saw sign early. Kenley Cahalan-esque, yeah. mid-season last year. She's in the portal. They bring back Skylar Wallace, but the biggest question here is the pitching. I mean, literally, who's pitching? Because as it stands right now, Riley Trilicek has a decision to make. I've heard rumblings that she's she was not going to take the extra year. I have no idea. Olivia Giganti threw a couple innings in conference play. 
I mean, the Gators are in the market for an arm. Yeah, who's in who's in the pitching lab? Who's running the lab? Because they need a new pitching coach right. as well. Mike Bosch uh, parted ways with the program. So yeah, there is it is a big turnover year for Florida, especially in the circle. Um, and then offensively, they need more than just Skylar Wallace. So, yeah, and, and we've heard for years about these these two freshman pitchers coming in. I don't have their names down. We know they're going to be good. That being said, they they still need more bodies. They still need yeah. more people to throw pitches. We may see Tim Walton more than he ever has really go in the portal and grab people this year. Yeah, and there are a couple folks in the portal that I kind of think could be seem, good fits for like, Florida. Seem like they may be Gator-bound. Yeah, Kendra Falby will be back. We didn't mention her. Reagan Walsh uh, right now, Emily Wilkie, Avery Gills, all, Katie Kissler, like they're all coming back, but uh, they will need somebody to kind of fill that Charlotte Eccles role who did such a great job, along with Falby protecting Skyler and Malina. Yep. Kentucky, who maybe a healthy Stephanie Schoonover. That, she's got she's going to be a senior next year. That would help. That was obviously uh, the big turning point in Kentucky's season. They went from a top ten team to a team that didn't get out of regionals, didn't host regionals, uh, despite their offense because Stephanie Schoonover got hurt and wasn't available for lengths of extended periods of time. Yeah, so you'll have Schoonover, you'll have Lockettena. You were saying goodbye in the circle to Sloan Gayen and Kennedy Sullivan, but most importantly, Kayla Kowalik. Uh, we've mentioned her previously on this pod. One of our favorite people to cover, to follow. I believe she's playing in the WPF this year, and then who knows what else in her career. But, man, what a personality in the SEC, and what a great career in the Kentucky Blue. Yeah, definitely one of those players that even if you weren't a, a follower of Kentucky, you followed what Kayla Kowalik did. Aaron Koffel's back. Hello. RBI production there. Uh, Grace Lorsung will be back. I mean, there are a lot of people here. Offensive steadiness was an issue last year beyond Kowalik and Koffel, and they just they got to shore up the pitching. They, yeah. they have to. It is it is a running joke, but there's there's truth behind it on the who's pitching, uh, is that you have to have, even if it's not necessarily an ace that is just a shutdown every time she goes out there, somebody that you can reliably turn to I think they had found it in Schoonover, but then she got hurt. So you're going to have to have, have that depth. LSU, gone. Allie Kilponen, Georgia Clark, Savannah Stewart. Kilponen, great career. Georgia Clark, uh, I will kind of miss watching her home run, hit mm. home runs literally every time I turned on an LSU game. Right. Decision to make. Hannah Carson got hurt like opening weekend. So I, I guess she could potentially get the injury redshirt like we were talking about earlier with KJ Haney. She could potentially be back. I'm not sure what her plan is. Uh, the senior class, Raylene Gutierrez, Sierra Briggs, Allie Newland, Taylor Pleasance, Carly Petty, Danica Coffey. It's a lot of experience, a lot of senior talent that has not been to Oklahoma City. Maybe inexplicably, this is the last chance. Like, you, you got to go now. Yeah, it seems like that's that's been the thing is that LSU has had World Series talent. Uh, for several years, uh, but for one reason or another, once they get into postseason, it has not translated, and they're going to have to find a way to make that gel at the right time with this group, and we'll see what they add to it here in the offseason. We know that Ailey Johnson, the pitcher, went into the portal, but as it stands right now, Berzon and Chafin seem to be your top two options, and I wouldn't be shocked if Beth Tarina tries to make a move and bring somebody else in as well. And don't forget, Macy Bajeron. Bajeron. Yes. Okay. Of course. Missouri. She can't go anywhere because that. Where else would you go? That only works at LSU. Goes like Iowa's like, 
Bergerod. Bergerod is her name. No, no, that's not how you it's pronounce it. Uh, Missouri lost a lot in the portal, but not a ton of like starters, I guess. Right. About, I mean, yeah. a lot of our friends, a lot of people that we, we really enjoy from the FGCL, but uh, they do return the bulk of their important bats. Alex Honnold, Kara Daly, Jenna Laird, like that's how you mold an offense. You start with those three. You've got Lauren Krings back. Uh, it seems like Jordan Weber, based on checking the website, has a decision to make. If she does indeed, I would be shocked if that decision is not coming back to Missouri. Yeah, they were just missing something this year. Yeah. And it was hard for us from afar to kind of put a finger on what that issue was. Uh, they were a better team than what their record indicated that they were, uh, but it just didn't come together for them this year. And we'll see if there's an addition or a subtraction that is made here that is going to uh, to help that in 2024. Yeah, this is really kind of the first time Missouri didn't not only meet expectations, but exceed them right. in the Larissa Anderson era. Like I said, they, they were better than their record indicated this year, uh, but there's gonna have, they're going to have to be some sort of change somewhere to see if they can unlock that potential. Georgia Bulldogs, great season. And had they played anybody else in Supers, that might have been a World Series team. Yeah. Somehow only one like legit departure. That's Allie Curlin, the Penn State transfer. who didn't play a ton down the stretch. You've got, again, I can't confirm this. I've seen rumors. Somehow Shelby Walters has an extra year. I think there's an injury redshirt something in there. Uh, she can come back. Sarah Mosley, Jaden Fields, Sydney Kuma, they can all come back. And then you've already got the table set with Jada Kearney, who was one of the most feared hitters in the SEC this year, and Madison Kerpix, who really, really exploded, especially with the help that she got from Walters in the circle. Yeah, you, you, you saw that ability that we talked about with Georgia for a long time kind of take that next step, and uh, they were right there. Like I said, if they played almost anyone else, uh, in supers, they might have had it. They might have finished up in Oklahoma City as well. But uh, a really good team may not need to add a whole lot. I uh, just got to make sure they don't have any other major uh, departures. Ole Miss. So you've got some departures. You've got some portalers. You've got some decisions. You've got some returners. This is as a uh, even as the <laughs> columns have been. You got a little bit of everything. Yeah, Michaela Alley gone. Great career over at short. Tate Whitley, one of the most reliable hitters the league saw throughout her career. Yep. Phenomenal job, Maya Stevenson. Certainly burned us when we saw her in Oxford. I've never seen a, a player look so overmatched for almost an entire weekend and then come up with a big hit like she did. Savannah Sykes is gone. A couple interesting portal notes. Brooke Barnard, who really kind of came on right at the tail end of the year in the portal, and Brooke Vestal, yeah. Battle of the Brooks. Uh, Vestal, one of the spinniest pitchers I've literally ever seen. I don't know how she makes the softball do that. <laughs> so they're portaling. Mechanically, Thermos has a decision to make. Paige Smith does as well. And then the biggest returner here, I mean, Lexi Brady was their best offensive player in the NCAA tournament. But, man, Jayla Lassiter is just a spark plug, a great freshman year, and she's got a really bright future. Yeah, uh, so there is a, a good foundation there. It seems like it's been that way for the last few years with Jamie Traxel at Ole Miss. A little bit of... Uh, uh, fluctuation in postseason, but we'll see how it all ends. Yeah, Caitlin Riley as well returning. Ainsley Furbush too. She was great in the postseason in the circle. So a lot to be excited about, I think, although certainly a lot to replace as yeah. well if yeah. you're old Miss. Auburn. Wow, Auburn. What an interesting offseason it has already been. So let's talk about the portal. This happens. Sometimes you have team t people dip. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. Uh, Lindsey Garcia, 
doing it for grad school, understand. Uh, I think a lot of people were surprised to see Denver Bryant and Bree Ellis in particular go in the portal. Those were two of your offensive leaders. Maybe not your best hitters. I think everyone would agree that Nelia Peralta was probably the best hitter on that team this season. But two people who came up big in big situations throughout their Auburn careers, and now they're looking for a new home. And you could make the case that Denver Bryant and Bree Ellis are the two biggest portal entries in the conference right now, period. Mm. And they both come from the same team. Uh, and it's interesting that these two players, like I know players play for teams, so you associate those players with those teams that they play for. But like, I don't know if you, when you thought of Auburn softball, like one of the first players you thought of was Denver Bryant. Yeah. And then the second player you thought of was probably Bree Ellis. You know, it was Maddie Penta, Denver Bryant, Bree Ellis, probably the three. To see not just, two players of that caliber, but that were such the face of those programs to decide to transfer. People have their own reasonings and it's none of our damn business what those reasonings are, but you kind of do kind of think, what, why? Why, 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 why is that happening? It does, it does bring things into question. And where will they go? Right. I mean, that too. Now Auburn does return Maddie Penta which is huge. The Pentagon will be drawn yet again. There was a lot of speculation when all this portal news was dropping that Maddie Pinta was about to join him. And I want to credit Maddie Pinta for not, you know, and she's got her sister coming in. I've seen that as well, which is probably certainly huge for that, but she will give Auburn a chance every time she's in the circle. And another pitcher, I think in this league, who we have seen just get better and better each and every year. And she's got one more year with the Tigers. Yep. Shelby Lowe will be back as well. I think the biggest question there, can Shelby Lowe finally get healthy? Right. Like we've been waiting so long to see her get back up to par and it still just wasn't there this year. Yeah. We're running out of time. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then can they add somebody else, a reliable arm in addition to Penton Lowe uh, that they can go to in big spots? Yeah. So there's Auburn, another fascinating team worth watching in the offseason to see how things shape up there. Mississippi State loses a lot. Chloe Malaulu, Jackie McKenna, Kenley Hawk has decided not to take her final year. So Malaulu and McKenna were two pretty consistent hitters for them. In the portal, Reese Burline, really impressive freshman, I mm-hmm. thought, yeah. who has good stuff. Kirsten Landers also going somewhere else. She was the Mississippi State newcomer this past year who came from Florida State. Decisions to make. There are a lot of people here. That's like a lot of the team. (laughs) Some of them will stay. Some might not. Returners that we know of, Macy Graff, Riley Holt, Nadia Barbary, and uh, Josie Marin. So Mississippi State could look a lot different next year. Yeah. This is probably the team most in flux that that I've seen so far here in the conference. And um, you know, you're coming off of a, a season where definitely there was some major struggles at Mississippi State. They, they got some big wins at the end of the year, but, you know, a, a team that did not hit what their expectations were at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and trying to find a way back into the NCAA tournament. Yep. Texas A&M. So they've already added Jasmine Hill, the Arizona State transfer. They are losing Riley Valentine, Star Ferguson, and Bree Warren to the portal. Straight up departures. I, I don't quite know. I'm not sure if Madison Preston has another year. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> wow, yeah. We, we've lost all track of where Madison Preston is in, in like she eligibility. Uh, Shaylee Ackerman, I think, has another year. We'll see if she decides to stay. But you're returning a pitching staff that was very improved this year. Kennedy, Levitt, really, really strong. 
Julia Cottrell's back, Coco Woolley's back. This is an A&M team that proved something this year to a lot of us. And if they find the right pieces, that can prove a lot more next season. Yeah, they overachieved this year. And uh, usually, you know, the second year, if you do that well in your first season uh, under a new coach, the second year, you can even take another step forward. So right. uh, A&M might be one of those uh, sleeper type teams to look at next season, uh, as long as they don't have any other major departures. A&M is one of those places that I would think if you're in the transfer portal and you get to take a look at those facilities, you get to take a look to go to Texas A&M. I mean, that's that they have a lot to offer for sure. Yeah. And I mean, if you're a pitcher, you're looking at what Trisha Ford did with that staff this year and how much they got better. Yeah. That is enticing to you. I think. You would think. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I would not be shocked to see if they uh, make a few big more moves in the, uh, in the portal. Finally, South Carolina. Uh, this is a chance for us to talk about Donnie Goborn. Yeah, speaking of overachieving. South Fear Carolina. the lashes, Tom. Yeah, indeed. What a year. You talked about how the most impactful people going into the portal this year might be from Auburn. The most impactful addition in this league might have been Donnie Goborn. I mean, look at what she was able to pull South Carolina into this year to where they were very, very close to getting to a Super Regional right. this season. Yeah, after a couple of years of, you know, not even making the tournament. So, right. Uh, really, really impressed what she was able to do. The team just really overachieved. And a lot of it was because of Goburn. And, and as a softball fan, you kind of wish she had another year of eligibility. Oh, man. Absolutely. Yeah. She got so much better mm-hmm. in one year. Really excited to see what she can do moving forward. I yeah. know that there are some pro things in the mix yeah, for her. I would, yeah, she's going to be one of those that could do really well in the pros. Absolutely. There are a couple other departures. A big one is Jordan Fabian, who hit the most hilarious home run of the SEC tournament. Uh, yes, that was a lot of fun. That was for wild. Regions. I mean, extended our right. pregame show a little bit more, but our pregame show went from 30 minutes to an hour <laughs> because of that two out top of the seventh home run. Still waiting on word from a couple pitchers, in particular Carson Oaks, who I think kind of revealed herself as the number two, although Bailey Battenbaugh pitched well in the postseason. So I think South Carolina's pitching staff actually, as a whole, took a pretty substantial leap forward. You got a lot of returners on the offensive side. All in all, I mean, it seems like we talked about it. Tennessee's probably going to be the favorite coming in, but I don't think it's going to be a runaway for the Lady Balls. No, I don't think they're going to get like – it's not going to be 12 first place votes for them in the in the uh, preseason polls or anything. I think that for what we know right now, they have the most complete returning roster, but there's still so much that can happen. Uh, I think that there is going to be maybe as many questions about a lot of different teams as we've seen in a long time. Yeah. But I think that everybody has a capability of raising whatever ceiling they have right now, uh, depending on who they add here in the, in the either the portal or true freshman. Speaking of the portal, as we record, yes, which there could be something by the time you're listening to we this. We are recording uh, at 4 p.m. on Friday, June 9th. Central time. Central time. God's time zone. Correct. Here are some of the big names to watch in the portal. We've talked about the ones from the SEC nationally. Emma Koff, the catcher from Georgia Tech. Ashley Miller from Michigan State. I'd love to see her get a shot somewhere because we've seen her in the FGCL and at Michigan State. She's got talent. Uh, Liberty, the battery, Carly Keeney and Caroline Hudson. Oh, we saw them. We did. Could be a package deal. We'll, we'll see where they decide to go. 
Louisville has a couple people in the portal. Corb Otis and uh, Sarah Gordon, another catcher. Gordon Otis, phenomenal freshman year. Laura Miller, Middle Tennessee. Dancing into the portal. We saw her a lot this postseason, and she was impressive. Uh, Shortstop for Middle Tennessee, although pretty versatile in the field as well. So she could go anywhere. Uh, Lily Backus from North Carolina, impressive pitcher who didn't really have a team around her that could help her. But if she goes to the right spot, she could flourish. I think the two biggest right now, you can make the argument, are Courtney Day from Texas, just based on history this year, not her best year. But man, we know what she can do. And then the Big Ten player and freshman of the year from Indiana, Taryn Kern. That seems to be the biggest target right now for a lot of teams across the country. Those are two really big names. And you mean, you know, Kern specifically, who had such a great year at Indiana and one of the main reasons why the Hoosiers um, kind of came from a team that you're not thinking about in the Big Ten to, uh, to a tournament-type uh, squad. Nia Carter, who had a, if not there, pretty close to career 400 average with Iowa. She is very, very impressive. One of the most consistent bats that uh, the Big Ten has seen in the last few years. Kelly Lynch from Washington has gone in, as well as Jadalyn Alchin from Washington. As of this recording, a little bit ago, it was announced that Washington's hitting coach has stepped away from the program. So, that could be a factor. Who knows? Lynch, also a pitcher. And uh, Alyssa Papelka from Texas as well has gone in the portal. And we know this all too well, Tom. There will be more. Right. There will be more. There's another month or so in the window of the portal being open uh, for people to put to put their names in. And uh, sometimes we see people wait till the very last minute to do that type of things. There we go. Yeah. We have advanced to first and covered everything you need to know. Sure. As it stands right now. Mm-hmm for 2024 shall we speak to patrick murphy he's giving us the sign tom do you see it come on over talk to the hall of famer all right let's do it when we come back we will steal second with alabama head coach patrick murphy here on the out of the box podcast before history is written it's played Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It's the season five finale. Gray and Tom rocking and rolling, closing out the softball season. And as we do every year, it's time to steal second with the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Patrick Murphy. Coach, welcome back. Good to see you. How are you? Well, Gray, I've I've, uh, matured hopefully a lot in my old age. And now my morning um, 
stage is a lot shorter than it used to be. So I'm, I'm almost out of it since the season ended, but um, I mean, you guys both know too, you get attached to, you know, team 27 and, and then all of a sudden in a snap of a finger, it's over. And uh, you know, you, you're with these people from August 18th until June, whatever it was. And, you know, we see them more than our families. We see them more than anybody else. And um, it's just a, it's a hard time to let go of a, a team like that. Um, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's hard for any intercollegiate athletic or athlete, you know, baseball, football, basketball, it doesn't matter because you played a game your whole life. And then all of a sudden as, as a senior and, you know, it could be it, that's it. And uh, it's one of the hardest things to do is transition into the real world. And hopefully, you know, our four uh, young ladies um, will do a good job because um, we preach and preach and preach. You know, softball is what you do. Um, it's not who you are. There's a thousand other things that you can describe Montana, Ashley, Faith, and Allie. Um, so many other things. It's just one little part of their life. So. I think all four are going to just go on and do great things and whatever they choose to do. And I can't wait to, you know, see what they do. And coach, I think that's a, a great way to open up this conversation because you've said in our radio interviews in multiple press conferences that this has been the most gratifying season of your coaching career. Why? I think, you know, above any team, you know, we went through so much adversity. Um, we maybe didn't start as well as, you know, one year we won, what, 33 in a row? Uh, it was late March until we lost a game. And then this year, we lost our first game that we played at home, which hasn't happened in a long time. But they never once shied away from hard work. They never once shied away from the adversity. They kept coming back for more. Um, I think they really taught a lot of people a lesson in terms of grit, resiliency, determination, Um just fortitude, you know, guts. You don't see that very often. And they were terrific all year long because, you know, we talk about it in our pregame interviews. You know, I can remember a couple of times where either said to you or Tom, you know, man, we took two steps forward and then we took a big giant step back, you know, maybe on the Saturday night game. And then Sunday would come around and we'd take two more steps forward. And then, you know, the midweek, maybe it was the opposite. And I know we talked about this before with, with both of you guys in terms of um, some teams, you know, I'm sitting in Chicago O'Hare looking at the runway and some, some teams need just a little longer runway to take off. And maybe this was the year that, you know, this team needed a little bit longer of a runway to reach their potential. And I think, you know, when we get to the world series, I think it showed everybody that they did. Coach, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's I know that some years uh, you may not be able to kind of take a step back and appreciate what's going on while it's happening uh, because you're so focused on trying to get to that end goal. But it seemed like this year uh, you and pretty much everybody involved with the program was kind of aware as it was happening how special this season was. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you might be right. And, you know, I was uh, texting um, Coach Jay from the baseball team uh, the other day and I was like please 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 enjoy every little bit of this and take your time to you know relish in these great moments and it's hard for anybody to do that especially a coach because you know shoot um, 
super regional weekend, we, we had a recruit. So, you know, three things going on, five things going on. And then, oh, by the way, we have a, a really good recruit too. Um, but I think you're right this time, you know, after, uh, I think it was the Northwestern third game. Um, I think all of us kind of let loose as we were running around the outfield celebrating with the brickyard. And uh, I had a couple of people say, man, I've never seen that out of you before. <laughs> and, uh, you probably won't. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was running the 40 in like, I don't know, 3.2 seconds. <laughs> out in the outfield. <laughs> Oh man, coach, we're going to talk about all the departing seniors in just a moment, but we, I mean, we have to start with Montana and you've said a lot in the last, I guess, whole season really, but really specifically in the last three weeks that somebody needs to write a book about how this year is gone. And in particular, we know that there'll be a lot of chapters about the last month for Montana and what she went through with the injury and just to be able to come back. When you look back at her career, the five years and how it all started and how it ended, can you even begin to describe the impact that she had on the program, the university, and the entire sport of softball? Not really. I don't think I can today because there's so many um, moments, um, meetings, encounters that she had with different people all across the United States and within fans, within media, other other softball players at other universities, other coaches. Um, you wouldn't believe, like, the emails, the comments that I get from people after they've met her and how it's just, it's unreal what she has accomplished, how she's done it uh, with grace, with class. Um, she, you know, I, I think I kind of mentioned this in one of the post game um, in Oklahoma city, but you know, there's a, uh, I think it's a, like a short story or um, a paper that was written about, you know, all the emotions that you can, you can uh, take in. And the gentleman that wrote it was like, give me all those emotions. Give me every single one of them. Give me sad, give me happy, give me glad, give me joy, give me upset, give me anger, whatever. And I think as a college athlete that is on the brightest of stages, you have to be able to do that yourself. She's got to experience the joy of throwing a perfect game, but she also has to throw, uh, um, experience the agony of giving up a home run or maybe a walk-off hit or, you know, throwing a bad pitch where it results in several runs or whatever it might be. And you had, you got to be able to bounce back from that. And I think that describes her perfectly. She wants to, she wants to experience all those emotions as a pitcher. And then she comes, she keeps coming back for more. Uh, I think she taught a lot of kids that, um, you know, you can bounce back from failure as a pitcher. You, you can. And she, she she showed it tremendously, I think, in 2020 when we kind of started a little, a little bit slow. And then she comes back with a vengeance in 21, kind of again in 22, and then she comes back again in 23. Um, she's just one of those once-in-a-coach's-lifetime athletes that you hope and pray that you get to have on one of your teams. Is that the intangible, like what you were talking about, calling her Artua, to where, you know, it the if you had made an all-time pitching staff for Alabama, it'd be a really deep, deep roster. Montana might be number one, but there are some others that would be in that conversation. Same thing for Alabama quarterbacks. Tua might not be number one, but definitely in that conversation. Um, but she has just that intangible. Yeah, and it's, I don't know if it's a competitive fire or the resiliency 
the, the ability to bounce back because, you know, you guys have seen her too. Like you've seen her pregame in the dugout and I see it and I'm like, uh-oh, that other team's in trouble because she is locked in. She's ready to go. And usually it was on the Sunday after we split the first two games or she didn't pitch that well on a Friday night. And then that Sunday she was out for, you know, blood and she usually got it. Um, and that happened so many times in her career, like at Texas this year, you know, in the tournament, she didn't pitch really well against them on the Friday night. She came back and uh, what was it? Three to two and in 11 innings or four to three, maybe. And it was just masterful performance and struck out. I think, you know, two, three, four, five in their order. I don't know how many times and just dominated some really, really good hitters that night after they saw her for, you know, however many innings the night before. So her ability to um, come through in the clutch as well was just amazing. And to add to it, you know, I, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was how impressive she was after the loss on Friday, conceivably one of the worst nights of her life. Her college career is over and she took pictures with everybody, signed everything that every little girl brought to her. And even though she was emotional, she was doing it with a smile because that's just who she is. I thought that was as impressive as anything I've ever seen from her. Yeah, I'm glad you told me that because I was still in the press room answering questions from everybody. And, and when I walked out uh, towards our bus, there was hardly anybody left. And one of the uh, security guys said, uh, you would have been really proud. Uh, all of them signed whatever came their way. And so I appreciate you telling me that. And the other three uh, young ladies that, that are leaving the program, Faith Hensley, uh, Ashley Prangy, and Allie Shipman, all came in as transfers. Uh, but especially, you know, Allie and, and Prangy uh, here for two years, but it certainly seemed as though they were here for all five as they uh, they really uh, became heart and souls of this program. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, for Prangy, I think she was two-time first-team All-SEC, I believe, um, you know, was our most consistent hitter for sure last year. And then this year, same thing in terms of getting on base, driving in runs, um, you know, they, they all three, uh, I hope they would say they found a good home um, to end their careers. And they all brought something different to the table. So that was really cool. And all four of them have way different personalities. And that's what you want on a team, or I do. I don't want the same cookie cutter um, personality. I want I want the same thing. I want us to experience different people and from everywhere in the country. So it, it was a pleasure to have all four of them on the team this year. We're still stealing second with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. And, Coach, we're going to look ahead a little bit to the offseason and eventually to Team 28. You've already made a move in the portal. Kayla Beaver from Central Arkansas, a really, really impressive pitcher throughout her four years, is coming to Alabama for her fifth season. How important is that addition to this team? And uh, are there any other moves that you're trying to make in the portal? How aggressive are you trying to be early, I guess, is the way to ask it. Um, She, she was – Obviously, a really good get and a, and a big one because she's. I think she's going to be really, really good. I think she's going to match up with Lance again uh, in a really good way. And, you know, she's excited. She had a great experience at UCA. And she said nothing but great things about everybody there. And it's one of those things where she wants to see if she can do it, you know. Um, and I know, you know, she, she uh, pitched really well against Arkansas during the regular season. Um, 
but she's going to have a chance to do it every weekend, you know, game in and game out. And it's going to be exciting for us because, you know, Jayla came on tremendously. Salty had her moments of just brilliance, you know, and one of the games that we kind of forget, but was a big one when Lauren Esman shut out Indiana and Indiana became one of the best hitting teams in the country the rest of the season. And that was a 10 and nothing game down in Clearwater that, you know, at the time it wasn't that big of a deal, but in the end, that was a really good win for us. So I think Kayla's going to help um, just solidify that staff. And, you know, and when you look at even the World Series, you see a lot of um, mixing of staffs. Uh, you get two, Tom gets two, I get three innings or three and four innings because uh, there's so many good hitters nowadays. And one of the toughest spots in the in, in uh, Division One sports to play is softball pitcher because it is um, almost everything is um, skewed toward the hitter nowadays. You know, the strike zones are not very big. Um, you got everything going against you. And then you got to try to get like, you know, a really, really good hitter out. Um, and possibly she gets to see you four times, which, you know, that's even, I mean, you see it now and obviously major league baseball center for years, but college baseball as well, where, um, you know, it's like everybody on the staff is to go an inning or two innings. And I don't know if we'll go that far, but to have the, the differences in speed pitches, you know, when we got the lefty. Um, I think that really, really helps. Does that kind of go along with, unless you have like a generational talent like a Montana Fouts, having five to six people is almost a necessity now in, in, in your staff? I think so, and I think it needs to be different. They need to have different skill sets like off-speed, drop, rise ball, curve, whatever. You know, They can't all be the same type of pitcher. They need to be heavy on the drop, heavy on the curve, or you know whatever it might be. You know, Montana was up um, – and Salty is down. So that was a good combination. Jayla's east and west. Um, you know, and obviously Lauren is a lefty. So with Beaver, though, she's she's hit 70 uh, miles per hour. So I'm going to be anxious to see uh, what Lance can do with her. And one more little tidbit on the portal. I think it's so interesting how typically we see these announcements come out like the Monday after a team is eliminated in the NCAA tournament or maybe after their regular season ends. How do you balance trying to be aggressive with people when they first go in the portal versus kind of waiting to see who eventually goes in? Because I know Allie Shipman, she entered in the portal about a month after the season was over. I know it's, <laughs> that's a million dollar question, Craig. You should be a recruiting coordinator somewhere. <laughs> um, I know that's that's the toughest part, but one of the things that we have I've said from the very beginning since I've been at Alabama, I want kids who want to be here. And um, if they reach out to us once they're in the portal, that means a lot to us. Like I want to be at Alabama, or you know I want to see the opportunity what, that you have there. Um, so you just got to see, and you know whoever you you get whenever you get it. As long as they're 100% in, let's run with it. You know, that's what you want. Um, so, but it, is, it could be, you know, what if I wait or, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things going on and um, you just hope you make the, the best decision for your program. 
Another headline in the offseason is going to be the addition of the third paid assistant coach. Um, how quickly are you going to look at doing that? And then what are kind of the factors you're looking in on that hire? Well, it's, you know, like Ryan was our, Ryan I. Murray was our volunteer coach. So basically that spot becomes nil. That, that she was the third coach, but she, that position now will get paid. So it's not like we're getting an addition to our staff. That staff member gets benefits and a salary, which is huge. Mm -hmm. um, same with baseball, you know, and Commissioner Sankey from the SEC, he always wanted out of the volunteer business and kudos to him. It's finally happened. Um, but that means that, you know, other sports too, that did have a volunteer, they can now have a paid coach in that spot. So the, the, um, the rule on recruiting is that person, whoever it might be, won't happen until July 1st. So they, they can go on the road, but July 1st is the date where you'll probably see a lot of um, announcements of who people are going to hire, you know, things like that. You've talked a little bit about what the pitching staff is going to look like next year. I wanted to, in particular, focus in on Lance. I think that we saw this year with the improvements pretty much across the board that it was the right hire, that he did a great job in year one. Uh, what what do you, I guess, what are you excited about with him in year two now that he's going to have an incoming freshman in Brisky, uh, a transfer in Beaver, and another year with all these returners in the pitching staff? That's just really exciting. <laughs> Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, we talked about it in the dugout pregame and maybe not on air, but that was a big adjustment for everybody. You know, Steph was terrific. They knew her. She knew them. But when you bring in somebody brand new and, you know, when you really, you know, yes, we played in the fall, but the games in the spring, like Clearwater and SEC three game series, you know, and I, I leaned over to him and I said, one time, uh, have you ever been in this much pressure? And he goes, no, not really. <laughs> and it was uh, one of the first SEC series at home, and it was a hell of a game, you know, and 4,000 people and everybody's going nuts. And I'm probably going nuts in the in the dugout. And I look at him, and I'm like, is this fun? And, um, you know, probably not at the time, but it was probably later um, <laughs> because I think we did win that game. Um, but, you know, I think all of them are excited to – return, get better, keep working. Um, and Brisky too, you guys will love her. Great personality, hard worker. I think she might even hit for us. Cause she, she really, she, she told her, um, obviously she, she hit in high school, but she told her summer ball coach that she would like an opportunity. And he said, okay, you know, you got to show me. And I think she went to work and, um, she's got some pop. Um, so we'll see. Um, but that would be, I think that would be a really, really good um, addition, not only pitcher, but as a hitter too. Yeah, offensively, uh, certainly it looks as though the team is going to be led by Jenna Johnson and Bailey Dowling uh, coming in now for their uh, fifth and fourth years in the program. Uh, what have you seen from them here at the end of the season and what will you be looking for uh, next year from those two? Well, you're right. Two really good leaders. And one of the things, uh, that we ask everybody um, at the end of the year, three questions. What did you like? What didn't you like? And what would you like to see more of? And then 
all of us have pen and paper and we're writing out all the answers because they give us really good feedback. And then two more questions at the end of it is, uh, who's the best leader on the team? And then who's the best teammate on the team? And it's really not a right or wrong answer. I just like to hear. And um, as you you would probably guess, Jenna was mentioned a lot as the best returning leader. And they had to take out the seniors, but who was the best leader returning? Um, and it was really cool to see other people get mentioned too, which which I think is good for us, you know. Um, but I think they'll be really, really good and shoot right now. One of you can probably correct me, but I think, aren't we going to have nine seniors? I believe with the addition of Kayla. I think, I think that's we have right. Eight. Hey, get ready for senior days. <laughs> the entire spring. Every have home we, game. we will have a multiple senior days on both Bama bash and crimson classic. How about that? Yes. Every day. <laughs> yes. Oh, Maybe man. one in the first and one in the fifth. senior innings there we go (laughs) yes shoot yeah (laughs) well or go great experience just great experience all the way around um and obviously you know like an emma and a lauren who they only get two years with us but anytime you know senior they've they've they will have played three years of college softball so they've seen a lot lauren in the in the big 10 obviously emma at una so that experience is still going to help us. Okay. So I, I don't care if they're only here for a year or two years. The experience is what helps us. And when we look at the freshman class, I mean, speaking of experience, you had a lot of people get a lot of experience this year. Kenley, Larissa, Kristen, they were all regular starters uh, for most of the year, if not certainly by the end of the year. Marley got a lot of chances. We saw Abby get a lot of pinch hitting and, and a few starts here and there. Uh, what do you hope to see from them this offseason to help them kind of parlay what they did their freshman year into growth for sophomore season? So another thing in our meetings is, you know, we give them our feedback and then I ask them what two or three things specifically do you think that you need to improve on? Cause I want to hear what they think they need to get better at. And almost all of them were like perfect in what their response was because either I had it already written down or one of my other assistant coaches coaches had it written down. And so we were on the same page almost the entire time. Um, and you're right. You know, I looked one time, we had four, four freshmen starting in several games. Um, they got great experience. Kimley, for what she did as a high school senior, was amazing. I think she's just going to get better and better. Larissa, second team all-conference, and she was in the top 10 of all hitters in the SEC in batting average, um, which was amazing. Uh, and Kristen, you know, I think she's, she had, doesn't even have a clue how good she could be. Uh, she could be one of the best we've ever had, honestly. And then Marley, you know, for her opportunity at the World Series to, you know, get hit and then get it called back and say, okay, I'll show you. And then she <laughs> hits a home run. I mean, that says a lot about her. Uh, and and Dukesher, too, one of the best athletes on the team. And, you know, maybe this year, you know, she, she uh, had to adjust to the speed of the game and the, the competition of the pitchers, but she's going to get it because she's very, very, very competitive and she wants to be good. How, how important is that having that 
that desire to not only get to Alabama, but then to improve once you get to Alabama. Oh, that's key because that's Haley McClinney in a nutshell right there. You know, she got here, but she didn't rest on her talent alone because a lot of kids do that. Okay, I'm good. I'm a four-time All-Stater. You know, I, I let off my summer ball team. But when they get to college, it's like, okay, now the ante is up tremendously. What are you going to do about it? And I think that's what separates a four-time All-American from a non-All-American. Montana got better. Halen McClinney definitely got better year to year to year to year. You know, and I was telling some of our potential leadoffs next year, I think it was Haley's senior year, she had 62 walks mm. versus eight strikeouts, eight. Mm-hmm. And I think their their jaws are still on the ground when I told them that's that. Um, but, you know, she was her on-base percentage was over 600. So we, we got a ways to go that in that respect, just in terms of finding a consistent leadoff. I don't care who it is, but they need to be consistent and they have a, they need to have a over 500 on base percentage. And, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about, but you guys are probably going to bring it up and I apologize, but you know, we're going to Italy in uh, July and we get to take an international trip every four years. Um, so we went to the Netherlands, we've gone to Japan and now this trip is going to be in Italy. So we're going to play, the Italian national team four times, two doubleheaders. Um, it, it's going to be very, very valuable. Just like when we went to Japan, Montana came, and you know she beats New Zealand and hits a grand slam for her only at bat of her career. It was a grand slam on a changeup, uh, and there is video of it. So, you know, she reminds me of that all the time. Uh, but you know, when we went to the Netherlands, we had these, you know new kids that maybe were, you know, quiet or maybe didn't get to play as much. But then all of a sudden we go to the Netherlands and Chandler there is this outgoing personality. And everybody's like, who the hell is this person? And where has she been? You know, she's singing on the stage of the place where we were staying at. Uh, Runyon, Marissa Runyon just turned into this competitive monster of every time we got on the bus, she wanted to play cards because I, uh, it, I recognize that she was very, very competitive and we did go-kart racing and she's going around this track in Amsterdam. It was a three-story building and sh- she thinks she's in the, the damn Indianapolis 500 about to win, you know, $2 million <laughs> purse and she's passing everybody. And I was like, where was this kid, you know, all year? And then <laughs> the next year, she had she broke the school record, eight, 84 RBIs, had every home run, led us to the World Series, hit the Grand Slam against Oklahoma, and you know her her legend of Marissa home running came about. So I'm hoping that the trip to Italy does the same for some of these youngsters. And one of the coolest parts is those new kids that you talked about; they get mm-hmm. to come with us. So Brisky, Lauren Johnson, and Kendall Clark, who we haven't talked about, but she's a, a junior college young lady from uh, DMAC in Des Moines, Iowa, she gets to come. So we all get to get to know them. And, you know, we get to have a couple of practices before we leave. And that's really valuable. Michelle Diltz get to do some stuff with them in the weight room. So they kind of get a little uh, orientation there. But I'm so thankful that Mr. Byrne and Dr. Lee, Karen Lee, um, believes in the same thing that I do in terms of those international trips not only the beneficial for the, the program, but each individual kid gets to see Italy 
And uh, it's so beneficial for anybody to travel and get out of your comfort zone. Um, so I can't wait. So after after Italy, of course, we have the 2024 season uh, coming up. Team 28 will take the field. Uh, is there any scheduling sneak peeks you can give us? I know nothing is, is officially announced as of yet. Are we going back to Hawaii? Is now the time? <laughs> no, you need to get on the jet to Italy. Um, no Hawaii, but we uh, I'll give you one little thing, and uh, we've become friends, but Pete at Virginia Tech wants to come back. So we're going to play Bot Tech on a Friday and Saturday night. Um, in, it's our bye weekend of the SEC in March. Um, looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, we had major travel this year. We went to Clearwater. We went to Texas. We went to Marshall. And then we had to uh, um, charter to Fayetteville for the SEC tournament. And so I promised my boss that I would try to not charter as much <laughs> this year. So I will tell you, we're going to open up the season at Georgia Tech um, um, in Atlanta. And it's a nice, easy drive for us. So uh, really pleased that um, she allowed us to come over. And, you know, it's it's a good trip for us. A lot of Alabama fans in, in the Atlanta area. Is that is that a tournament or is that just with Georgia Tech? Tournament. Okay. Yeah, I think I think there's actually five teams in it, so um, it'll be a good tournament to open up. And then we'll play we'll play eight games in the fall. You know, uh, I'm not sure where, but um, definitely fall ball, and everybody will get a chance to see us. That's awesome. Well, and I know that there will be plenty of other chances for in-state folks. I'm sure Birmingham, wherever it be, to to watch the Crimson Tide this year as well. Yes, we're going back to Jacksonville State as well. So that was a, I wanted to get Jana back on the schedule and it worked out where we could go there and then she'll come to us um, the next year. Awesome. Well, coach, before we let you go, just on a personal note, I wanted to say thank you for an incredible season with Team 27. You said it in one of the meetings, and I, I feel comfortable uh, repeating it, uh, that this was as great a year staff-wise, support staff-wise, as we've ever had at Alabama. And I, I think the the culture that you have instilled in this program has really kind of gone down to the entire staff. And we all look forward to getting to spend time with each other, whoever comes on these trips to OKC. And uh, I, I really want to want to thank you for everything that you did this year to allow us to to once again uh, bring the family back together. Yeah, it was. I echo everything you just said. I appreciate that. And you know, we got to bring uh, Andrew Batts, our grounds crew gentleman, with us to Oklahoma City. And you know, it's like um, it's like a part of your family there. You know, we see him almost every single day the whole year 10 months and then why not why not come to oklahoma city you're part of the the family so get your butt on the plane and let's go right so <laughs> but you're right you know and just a uh tom's hungry segment you haven't mentioned any food yet but i will give a shout out to rendezvous pizza uh in okc the day that we went uh it was across the street from our hotel, but it was very good Detroit and New York style pizza. And we had a bunch of the staff over there and that was a fun outing for everybody. 
Oh, it, it will be discussed later on in the in, in the podcast. Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I'd give it a eight and a half at least out of ten. I don't know what your ratings are, but yeah, four it, out it, of five for sure. Yeah, it was quite it was quite delicious. I, I agree, and and I I echo everything that Grace said as well. I appreciate everything that you did and and everybody involved, not just in Oklahoma City, but all year long. Like I said, it was not only on the field, but overall just a, a tremendous year and really gratifying. I appreciate that, Tom. And thanks to both of you guys for what you do. And not only just for us, but I, and again, I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again, there's so many people that listen to you that appreciate what you do and what you bring to the game and just your excitement for the sport. It means a lot to the ladies that play it and the, and the people that coach it. Thank you, coach. And I know that we're still like fresh off of team 27, but I'm, I'm already ready for team 28. I, let's, let's go. I, I'm fired up. <laughs> Okay. Well, give me a weekend. Okay, that's fine. We can <laughs> <right>. do that. <laughs> we'll wait for the actual full season to end, and then we will do okay. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Uh, well, Coach, thanks a lot, you guys. Yeah, thank you for the time, and uh, enjoy the off season. We'll see you in fall ball before you know it. All right. You guys take it easy. So that's Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. And uh, if I may, I would like to brag on Murph for just a moment. Uh, I didn't really have a window to say this to him personally. So I'm going to say it here on this pod and coach, I hope you're listening. We talked about how Montana was so great after the loss and how really the entire team was, you know, they were signing autographs, they were taking pictures. I want to make sure that we mention how this culture that has been cultivated by coach Murphy is not just words. You know, we were sitting in the lobby and coach Murphy came off the bus when the team arrived after the Stanford loss. And the first thing that he did was went and thanked the police officers from the police escort yeah. on potentially the worst day of the year. And uh, the attitude of gratitude that coach Murphy preaches to the team, to the program, he also lives it out. That is rare uh, amongst college coaches. Uh, we got handwritten thank you notes multiple times this year at the end of the regular season. And when we got to the OKC and that that means the world so so coach if you are still listening and i hope you are and fans if you don't really know what patrick murphy is like off the field uh, he is exactly what he preaches to this program the way that he acted after the loss i think told me everything i need to know about about his character and uh, we've seen that for years so it wasn't even a surprise yeah uh, yeah everything that he preaches and talks is not lip service it's something that is actually put into practice on a day in and day out basis and we saw it from the team and him um, and told you everything you need to know uh, what was happening uh, on that ride home and, and that evening after, uh, after the elimination of the world series. Yeah. And team meeting next day, same thing, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of gratitude to everybody in that room. And I'm really excited to see what team 28, I can't believe I'm saying that right. looks like. I think that as an Alabama fan, I would understand if you're wary, Montana's gone. That's weird. It's been a long time since Montana has not been on the roster. It'll be a, the first time in many, many years I will make a board where Montana Fouts is not mentioned. Probably week two, because we'll have the departures quarter sure. well, yeah. for week one. Mm. But uh, I, I think that you've just, you've got to trust. You've got to trust the way that this program has been built. And as we, I'm sure, talked about earlier, Alabama's lost people before. This is not something new. Now it's losing a generational talent, but there have been a lot of great pitchers who have come through this program that Alabama has found a way without the year after. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of college sports. You, you people aren't going to be hanging around for 
decades, you get them for four and you got them next year this year, or, you know, because of the COVID year, it's just, you know, it's the way that it is. And and that's why you build programs. You don't build specific people. You, you right. build what the program is. And uh, Alabama is going to be a, uh, a destination for people. It's going to be, it's still a, a landmark program with or without Montana Fouts. And, uh, but I do think, uh, like he talked about, that kind of the, the fingerprints of Montana Fouts are going to be on this team, on Team 28 and Team 29 probably too, uh, because of what she brought leadership-wise and uh, how people are going to continue to kind of mold things the way that Montana did it. Yeah, and we have a theory that we talked about in the hotel as we get ready to round third. I'm going to hold on to, and I'll voice it. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about, about what Montana's legacy could be. And uh, I, I hope it pans out so we can talk about it because – that would be really, really yeah, damn that'd be, special. That'd be fun. Let's do that. Oh, man. Okay. Speaking of fun. And are you damn gonna... special. Oh, yes. <laughs> Kevin Brown is here. Wow. Our guy, our buddy. Oh, the conversations and chats that we have had with ESPN's Kevin Brown. And we're going to have one here on the pod. Sounds great. Let's do it. Let's do it. When we come back, we will round third. Kevin Brown will be here. What a guy. What a segment. That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time to round third here on the show, Gray and Tom, and we are bringing in a guest that we have wanted to bring on for quite a while, and we have finally made it happen here for the season five finale. It is our friend from ESPN, uh, Kevin Brown, or as he's known in our various group chats, Kevin, what a guy. Uh, Kevin, how are you? Good to see you. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Kevin, what a guy. <laughs> Kevin, what a guy. A positive, positive Kevin, what a guy. Kevin, what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I know that you had a ton of fun covering the Women's College World Series again with Amanda Scarborough and Courtney Lyle, yeah. I thought, uh, did fantastic work on the sidelines as well. And it, it wasn't a surprise to see Oklahoma leave as the national champion for the third straight year and sixth time in the last 10 seasons. Where does this run by the Sooners in the last decade stand in terms of not just college softball, but all of sports? I feel like that with the parody that we've seen, it makes it almost more incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why it's at the top for me. Um, Amanda and I were, were talking about this earlier in the week. Uh, we, I don't know if we talked about it on air or off air. Uh, Amanda and I had a lot of conversations in the last week that have all put it together. Um, <laughs> I'm not a historian, right? So I, I've only gotten into the sport relatively recently in the last few years. But it just uh, from talking to people who've been around the sport, it seems like there's more parity in the sport than there's ever been. Um, I mean, I think about UCLA, which was the only other team to three-peat, 88 to 90, and how much different the game was back then and how there was no viable SEC and how there were nowhere close to 300-plus Division One softball teams and – the small handful of elite teams that would score one run and the game would be over because the different ball, the different rules. And now, I mean, gosh, um, you know, a year ago we had an unseeded team in the champ series. I know that didn't happen this year, but there's just so much depth. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were at the SEC tournament and South Carolina made the final as a 10 seed and it didn't feel like a real fluke. I mean, they had one great pitcher, obviously, but, there's just so much depth everywhere in this game. And I think that's why the Oklahoma thing is so impressive to me because it seems like the rest of the sport is as talent rich as ever. Um, the opportunities to be great are high. 
pretty much any power conference team, I think, in the SEC, in the Pac-12, and I'd say the ACC, too, could could put the investment into softball and could be a World Series team. It'd be tough for, for Northeast teams, right? Syracuse is the VCs, the Pitts, the world. But but there are so many teams that, that should go into a season or say going into next season, we could be in a World Series. Uh, and Oklahoma lost one game. Like, they, all that. they lost one game. And what was it, February 18th or 19th or something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, other sports, gosh um, – I think this is the that's probably the most dominant college sports run we've seen since UConn women's basketball. I mean, Alabama football obviously has had a great, great run. Um, college basketball is always so wide open on the men's side, and the women's side has become that a little bit. But I think it's the most dominant run we've seen since since the prime years of Gino Ariam and UConn when they just won every title. Oklahoma just feels inevitable. I, I think I said it on the air on Monday night. They're just inevitable. You're not going to beat them. You you can't beat them unless you play perfect softball. And even then, you still might not be them. So I don't think I've ever covered anything that has genuinely that feeling of inevitability. Um, this feels like you are helpless. You throw your ace, they'll hit your ace. You try to get cute and throw your number two pitcher, they'll hit your number two pitcher. You make one defensive error. Three runs are going to score. So it's the inevitability thing that, that would make me say they're the best dynasty we've seen in college sports since UConn basketball. And I, you can argue maybe all of the major North American professional leagues too. Um, I haven't thought about it in as much detail, but I don't know. The like the Brady Patriots, I guess, but even their Super Bowls were usually, you know, interspersed throughout a longer period of time. I mean, they go three in a row. Gosh, it's, it's kind of unfathomable. And you kind of get into, you mentioned UConn women's basketball, you kind of get into the question on, is it good for the sport for one team to be that dominant? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, kind of like what you saw with women's basketball, if if you got one really dominant team, it's up to everybody else. It's not up to them to get worse. It's up to everybody else to get better. Yeah, I've thought about this. Um, I think it is good for the sport. I don't think it's good for the sport if they went 10 in a row. Um, there's not much for us to talk about if that happens. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's good with the board. They went 10 in a row. I don't know what the number is, but I think a couple of things. Number one, it will force everybody to raise their game and to try to recruit and coach and develop at a higher level because they really, really develop players. And number two, I think it is good for a sport to have big names, quote-unquote villains. You know, it's not that Oklahoma is made up of villainous personalities. It's simply that when you win three in a row or you're coming into this two in a row um, and you are as unapologetically expressive as they are, everybody's going to want to knock them off the top. So I think it's something for people to talk about. I think sometimes parody can be a bad thing when there's not a team or teams for the casual fan to grasp onto. And everybody can watch Oklahoma, whether you know the players or not, and go, is anybody going to beat Oklahoma? So I think it is good for the sport to have this dominant of a force. But again, if, they, if they're if they the only team to win, right, then it becomes not quite as fun. Um, but again, the game is cyclical. I, they'll still be the favorites next year, and they might win it again. But other teams are getting better. Other programs are getting better. I, I don't think they're going to win. Ten in a row, eight in a row. 
But maybe. I, don't, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't doubt him. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I, I'm going to stop picking it against Oklahoma Yeah. when it comes to making a bracket. I've <laughs> right. done that the last couple of years. hasn't worked out. Uh, we debated earlier last year's OU team versus this year's OU team. I think that last year might have been a more talented team, but this year there was just something cohesive that yeah. made them almost impossible to beat. So I'll ask you, if we played a three-game series right now in Oklahoma City, who wins, 2022 <laughs> Oklahoma or 2023 Oklahoma? That's a great question. Well, I think 2023 Oklahoma wins because I, in the years I've been covering this, I've never seen a World Series performance like Jordy Balls this year. Um, Nigel Kennedy was amazing, obviously. We saw Nigel twice against Oklahoma. We saw her pitch four times. You guys saw her against Alabama. She was She's fearsome. Her stuff is electric, her velocity, her rise ball, her presence, all that stuff. Um, but I just the, – the at-bats against Jordy Ball this tournament were so uncomfortable for every team. And her combination of speed and spin and four pitches that she can throw basically anywhere. So I think if you went last year's Oklahoma versus this, I know she was great last year, obviously the four-arm issue at the end. Um I just I like this version of Jordy Ball a little more than last year's version of Jordy Ball. So I would take this year's Oklahoma team because I would take 2023 ball over 2022 ball. And that's knowing that Jocelyn Allen was on last year's team. But, yeah, the lineup's still crazy deep. I mean, Riley Boone in the ninth spot would be any other team in the country's leadoff hitter. Mm. Um, so I I take this Oklahoma team. It's it's an interesting question. Um Where'd you guys land on it out of curiosity? I I said 23 because I thought that they could win games in more ways than the 2022 team could Mm. uh, because of that entire pitching staff, not just ball, but Sirocco and May. Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, they could win games 1-0 or they could win them 10-9. I think last year's team, they could probably win a 1-0 game, but they were more likely to to just uh, bludgeon you. Uh, and if, right. if, for, if for some reason they ran into somebody like a ball who might be able to hold them down, uh, they might have a little more trouble. Yeah, I, I went, I mean, I didn't officially say, I think it would go three and I think it would probably be 2023 Oklahoma, despite what I said earlier about my feelings about 2022 Oklahoma. Yeah. I still think that's the greatest offense we've ever seen in the history of the I sport, agree. but there was just something about this year's team. I mean, it was really crazy. And uh, you talked about the inevitability. It wasn't an inevitability of just Coleman and Jennings. It was Kenzie Hansen against Clemson. It was Sidney Sanders yeah. in big games. If they if they were down in the seventh, whoever was up was going to come through. Yeah. Regardless, didn't matter I, who it was. I had this thought the other day when we were doing the game on Monday against Stanford. And I had Grace Lyons comes up and I look at my notes and Grace Lyons is two for 17 in the tournament. And I said, I probably even said it on air, like, well, you know, that's not going to last long. If Grace Lyons is just too good, it's too experienced. She's going to get a big hit. And then she goes in and hits a double in the ninth inning of that game. And, um, and then hits the winning home. Well, I don't know if it was a winning home run, but it's a home run in game two of the champ series. So you you can't hold anybody on this team down for long. No. And uh, I think last year's team will be the better offensive team. But, yeah, I think more complete team probably this year. Did the only one of the last three Oklahoma teams to not lose a game in the World Series, too. Right. Yeah. And um, that's got to count for something. Well, the team that was able to, uh, to beat them once uh, previous years was Florida State. 
This year they go 2-0 and in the championship series, but another remarkable run from the Seminoles. What were your thoughts on Florida State's run throughout the World Series, especially coming off of last year with the disappointment yeah. in regionals? I'm just a big fan of that program, and Lonnie Alameda is such a terrific coach, and I love the way they maximize their talent. Um, you know, two years ago when Florida State had that run, remember they were a 10 seed and they really weren't scoring in the regular season. And I had them in the Supers that year. Amanda and I had them against LSU. And we both went in thinking, oh, he's probably going to win. Florida State can't really score. Um, but they just got enough big hits, and then they kept getting big hits throughout the World Series. And this year I, I, I was so impressed with them. Obviously they fell short in the Champ Series, but – they they really handled three good pitching staffs pretty well in Oklahoma State, Washington, and Tennessee. Um, they really develop players too, which is what Oklahoma does. They they develop players. There's a linear growth for so many players year to year. You look at what Deny Curry did from last year to this year, what Devin Flaherty's done in her career, what Kaylee Munch has done adding power. So I know they lose Cat Sandercock, but to think of what McKenna Reed can do next year is really exciting. Um, I'm curious to see if they're going to be kind of the front runner for the pitching revolution in the sport. I mean, it's already started, but will we see more teams come to Oklahoma city next year that could use legitimately five pitchers? Um, how long is Florida state going to stay ahead of the curve on this one? But then the other question I'm curious about is if they get back here next year, do they work their pitching a little bit differently? Obviously in game one, they tried to get a little bit cute with matchups uh, Reed gets hit. They don't have to throw Sandercock until game two. So are they going to go out and get a true seven-inning ace again, or are they going to try to develop Reed or one of the pitchers they have now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a spot where sometimes it's better to just say, you're going to go seven rather than this pitcher's going to go once through the lineup, this pitcher's going to go twice and go from there. But so impressed with them and the, the mental toughness. I mean, they make it to the champ series, but they were in an elimination one nothing game on regional Sunday. And then obviously cat threw a perfect game, but I'm very happy for them that they got through the, the shock of last year. And I just, and that's another team that does everything well. And again, when I look at Oklahoma, Florida state, yeah, they can recruit. They can really recruit, but what do you do with the recruits? Mm-hmm. How do those players develop? And I just think the linear growth they show, um, it's really, really impressive. Yeah, and with Florida State in particular, I remember last year when I was down in Florida with some of the Florida State people, and they're like, oh, yeah, this pitcher's in the portal. We're going to go after her. Like, they they were not afraid to, to stockpile people, even like an Allison Royalty, who was a late pickup, who really didn't throw a yeah. lot in the postseason, but she's got a lot of great experience at Arizona State. Uh, we don't know all the pitchers that are going to be in the portal this year, but there are rumors that we won't, again, as we said earlier, comment on, but – you know that basically anybody that goes in Florida State's probably going to be in the mix for just because that seems to be, like you said, Lonnie embracing the evolution of that position in the sport as it stands right now. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? It's like you'll go to Florida State, you'll develop, and you're probably not going to get overworked. Uh, I mean, Kat Sandercock still threw a lot of innings, but a lot of those were in the postseason, and they managed to keep her down and throw her in some starts and then throw her in some back ends of games too. So I think if you're a pitcher and you want to go to a program that will develop you and will not overuse you, I mean, Florida state would, would seem like an excellent option. 
Um, not that I am a recruiter for them. I'm not going to get paid for this. <laughs> We're not um, either. No, a, lot yes, schools, no. a lot of schools would be excellent options. But, yeah, I think it's a pretty easy pitch that um, that Lonnie can make and, and has made. You mentioned uh, Najri Kennedy and what she did for Stanford, not just in the World Series, but mm. all year long for the Cardinal. Um, with so many of the kind of the faces of college softball having their careers come to an end this year, Montana Fouts, Ashley yeah. Rogers, making frame of those type of pitchers. Uh, do you think uh, Kennedy may be kind of like become that face of college softball in the next three years? I really do. Um, I do because – Number one, you, you 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 have to be great, right? You have to be great to be the face of something. Um, number two, she's not just great; she's exciting, um, and and that's exciting with her pitches and exciting on the mound. The Nija stomp, love that. Love her expressiveness, her show of emotion when she got a big strikeout. And then I, I, I loved it except for one game, but yeah, yeah. It was which one was that? Was it Friday? Night? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, man, I, you can be the face of the sport uh, if you're a dominant pitcher. I, but probably not a dominant pitcher with changeups. You know, I, I like that's not to take away from changeups. But if you are the face, you know, Montana Fouts was the face of the sport for a few reasons. One of those was she threw really hard, struck a lot of people out. Yeah. Um, you're probably not gonna be the face of the sport if you have a 120 ERA, but you get most of your outs on ground balls is that fair yeah probably not but it's reality um big personality on the field crazy big arm just like such an intimidating presence too you know the the faces of the sport montana obviously her mouth presence her her facial expressions how tall she was jordy ball's a lot shorter but the eye black on the mask the way she moves around the circle and I think Nyjah can be that kind of expressive personality and dynamic personality. And you got to do it on the big stage. Um, not a lot of people had seen Nyjah Kennedy pitch before this year. He got to pitch four times in the World Series. I think that matters. And the ratings were pretty good for those games. He got to pitch on ABC. He got to pitch in primetime against Alabama. She got to pitch twice against the number one team in the country. So that's kind of the blueprint for the space of the sport. Pitch against the big programs in the sport do it in big primetime windows or on, you know, in a semifinal game. Um, I hope that Stanford can score some runs for her next year because I mean, all credit to that team. It was an amazing run. Obviously they were just overwhelmed by Oklahoma's pitching by the end, but yeah, she is special. She's, she's special. Like it, it's a cool name too. It's not a boring name like Kevin Brown. And it's hard for a Kevin Brown to be the face of the sport. Andrew <laughs> Kennedy. It's a great name. It's just everything about her, I think. Um, it's um, it's 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 hopefully a winning package for her to be one of the the real stars of the sport, maybe for the next three years. Well, and you mentioned Montana a couple of times. This is a uh, Alabama podcast. So we're going to have to talk about Alabama, and we saw you many many months ago. Uh, when Alabama faced Arkansas, by the way, thank you. I don't know if I ever said thank you for the uh, shout out on TV of Tom's Jeopardy skills. That was great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure it was brilliant. <laughs> it was very quippy. Uh, when you look back, Actually, at... I have a Jeopardy desk calendar at my desk right now. Um, oh wow! Is yeah. Tom in there? No, I, no. This I, is I like can't. one of those page page a day things. Is this a video podcast or just audio? Just, just audio. audio. Yeah. Okay. Well, then people can't see me hold it up. 
<laughs> today's diagnosis for $2,000. And the answer is these deposits of hardened bile can certainly be painful and can require surgery. Uh, kidney stones? Well, you have to answer the former question, Tom. What, should what? This right, is yeah. why you lost. Again, I finished third. Uh, <laughs> what? what is a kidney stone? Uh, the answer is what are gallstones? Is gallstones. The same as kidney stones? No, they're two different things. Dang okay, it. Well, then you, you just lost $2,000. Yeah, right. Tom is again, not I, good on this podcast when it comes to trivia. No, <laughs> uh, I'm, not un, I'm not unfamiliar on missing $2,000 questions. John Rittman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, anyway, back to Alvin. Anyway. Uh, Montana Fouts, an incredible career. You called a lot of her games throughout her, her tenure with the Crimson Tide, and you saw this team in the early stages and the frustrating days against Arkansas, and then you saw them yeah. in the World Series. What were your lasting impressions about, about this Alabama team in particular and about Montana and her career? Well, candidly, and I'm sure I'm the only one to, to think this, um, when we left Tuscaloosa in March after the Arkansas Series, and in no way did I think that was a World Series team. Um, I didn't. I didn't think they could score enough. And I didn't think they had enough pitching depth outside of Montana. And had you told me then Montana will not pitch in the entire first round of the playoffs, I would have said, well, they're going to lose in that round. So mm -hmm. my my impression of this team will be the the heart that they showed to get there, the fight that they showed to get there. I think my impression of this team will be Jayla Torrance as much as it will be Montana Fouts who threw, what, 19 innings or something like that in SEC play and then threw 30 innings in the regionals and supers. <laughs> um, that's one of the stories that makes softball great. Um, a kid that waits around, and that's not to disparage the transfer portal because some players use it and they go from a situation where they're not getting playing time to one they are and they block them. Um, it just works for different people in different ways. It worked for for Jayla to stick around for a couple of years and to get her opportunity. Uh, I just love that story of someone who hadn't started in two months who, you know, admitted to us, she really didn't know how good she could be. We met with Jayla in Montana, in Oklahoma City, before the games on Wednesday. And it was so cool to hear Montana talk about Jayla and to say, you know, for three years, she's had a front row seat to see how special she could be. And that Jayla just needed to figure it out, needed to believe it for herself, and she finally did. So uh, Patrick Murphy told us this is, I think, the most proud he'd ever been of any one of his teams. And I, I believe it. Obviously, it was not his best team. It was not his most talented. But they did so many little things well by the end of the year. They got this pitching performance out of nowhere. And then Montana, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the two images to me. The, the one image is her gathering her team together and pointing after getting hurt in the SEC tournament, basically saying, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to win this game. And the other is her dropping to her knees after the final out of Super Regionals. Um, just a career with so many amazing moments and images. But but those are the two. I mean, I, we weren't working that game at Fayetteville. We had the day games that day at the SEC tournament. <laughs> Sometimes was, those did become night games. Though. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll the day say. games did the night. Um, I was I was trying to fall asleep because I think I had like a six a.m. flight or five twenty the next day, and Montana's pitching against Arkansas. I can't turn it off. And when she got hurt, I thought, well, we're never going to see her pitch again. And this is such a horrendous way to go out. And um, I, 
God, that is one tough kid. One tough kid. And I, I just, I love the way she handled herself with class to the very end. So I'm going to miss watching her. I mean, the sport's going to miss her certainly, but I'm, I'm always going to think about her pep talk for her teammates. And I'm always going to think about her dropping to her knees after finishing off that Northwestern series. And I'm always going to wonder how she did it. I have no idea how she got through that kind of pain. Really don't. Um, maybe she doesn't either, but no. yeah, I, I'll, I'll unforgettable player. Um, again, just like a, an unforgettable presence on the mound, the, just how tall she is, how hard she throws, the way she commands the circle, just, um, yeah, kind of a larger than life figure. And, and she really brandished her <laughs> mythical legacy by having a season ending injury and then pitching in the super regionals two weeks later. I wonder if that is kind of one of the reasons why just seeing what everything she went through and the team went through, why it seemed to me as though at the World Series this year, if you weren't an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State fan, it seemed like there were a lot of people that were gravitating toward Alabama, Alabama yeah. in an underdog role, which is something they're not usually in. Seriously. They come to OKC. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I think people gravitate toward those stars of the sport. and That's a smart crowd. Obviously, it's a big softball city. I, I think almost everybody in that stadium was well aware that they could be seeing Montana walk off the field for the final time. And her her post-game press conference is like genuinely emotional for me, and I know a lot of other people. And, again, I'm just I'm, I'm amazed at the way she handled herself on and off the field. Yeah, you, you should have heard our post game, and we no. hadn't even heard the heard the press conference. Yet. Oh my gosh! So. <laughs> it was a, a post game very similar to past years, but in a way also unlike uh, any other that we had done to close out a season. As we uh, as we turn the page to twenty twenty four, what excites you? Mm. I mean, obviously the story is going to be can Oklahoma go back to back to back to back, which is crazy. Too many backs. Too many backs. <laughs> uh, but but what else? What else excites you about about next year potentially in college softball? Oh boy, let's see. Um, I admit to you, I haven't given too, too much thought to twenty twenty four yet. I, was I mean, the season ended less than twenty four hours. Yeah, what I was having fine. for lunch today. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what's exciting to me as I as I think about this a little bit, we only had two returning teams to the World Series this year: Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which is pretty wild um so we have six new world series teams so a, a kind of a cliche answer is i'm excited to see who who steps up in that absence but i am again the sport's so wide open um i'm i'm very interested to see part excited part not uh, interested to see what the rosters look like when the transfer portal dust settles um couple of teams I'm excited. I'm excited to see Tennessee with theoretically everybody, everybody but Ashley Rogers back. Um, again, maybe maybe as we've been recording this, eight players per team have gone to the portal. I don't know. <laughs> but, we, we have not we have not received that notification. Okay. So, um, I'm waiting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see if this is the year LSU finally breaks through again against the World Series with their talent and Pleasance and Sydney Burzon. I'm excited to see how Florida State reloads. I'm excited to see if Clemson can finally break through. I mean, Clemson, like Clemson, let's face it, was a World Series team this year and got the absolute worst draw you could get. If Utah doesn't win the Pac-12 championship game, Clemson's probably the 15th seed, I would think. 
yeah. then they get to host San Diego State. Instead, Utah wins, and Clemson has to go to Oklahoma. So <laughs> yeah. oh, that was a World Series. I'm, I'm excited to see what records Valerie Cagle can break and if he can finally lead them to the World Series. Um, gosh, well, I'm excited to see how UCLA responds. I mean, losing as the two seed would be unprecedented if it hadn't happened the year before. But how do they replace Megan Faramo? There are a lot of real questions for me beyond just Oklahoma. Um, I'm excited to see what this Oklahoma State pitching staff looks like next year. Kilfoyle and Maxwell and Acock, that could be the best pitching staff in the nation returning. Um, are they going to supplement it with offensive transfers again? I don't know. So I just – there are so many – and as you get to cover the sport, and we get to cover the sport nationally, which is really fun. Um, there are so many coaches that I have really come to like and root for and respect and so many players and programs that I love. It's easy for us when we do these games. We just want drama. We're not really rooting for anybody. And that's and, and in almost every case, that's the truth. We really, really like these people. I really like Patrick Murphy and I really like Patty Gasso and Lonnie Alameda and Ken Like the we have great interactions with these people. So I just, I want to see what they can cook up and who's going to be back. And yeah, I just, it's a, it's a great time to be a softball fan. And I'm sure there are eight teams. I'm not even thinking of that are going to be in the top 10 at some point next year. Which is, which is weird. I was told everyone on TV hates every team that I like. That's right. That's well, that's the secret. actually. (laughs) I got tweets the other day from Oklahoma Stanford fans um, that all we talked about was Oklahoma or that um, one was, um, you're a dumbass. Uh, I don't like watching your games. Boomer sooner. I was like, all right, great. Fair so well. we split it down the middle. All right, yeah. I mean, that you means you're doing it right. tweets from both fan bases individually. Uh, well, got to ask you about uh, about the day job with the Baltimore Orioles, mm. second in the AL East right now. What What is exciting going on right now with Baltimore? I don't know. I've been there in a week. I'm not really sure what's going on. <laughs> I've been busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're on Apple TV tonight, so I'm off again. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's a it's a really really good time to be um, TV voice of the Orioles, and they are young. They are exciting. Every game is close. That's the great thing about the Orioles, and it's also the curse. Because if the Orioles are up seven to one in the fifth, I know somehow, some way, we're going to end up giving up four runs and our close is going to have to come in. <laughs> but if we're down seven one in the fifth, we're going to get it to within seven five. Yeah. So sounds very familiar is, to the year yeah, that we just you experienced. Guys get it. Yeah, you get it. Every <laughs> game is tight. Every game is thrilling. Um, Camden Yards, uh, if anybody hasn't gone, it's still one of the crown jewels of baseball, and the fans are coming back and. The atmosphere is better. The people in Baltimore are really good baseball fans, even when it's not the biggest of crowds. Man, it is. The people are so engaged and so into this team. I moved here last year. I got the job four years ago. I was commuting back and forth for a while. And I had people tell me, just wait till the Orioles are good. You know, it looks like a Ravens town now because the Ravens are so good. But just wait till the Orioles are good. You're going to see Orioles shirts and Orioles flags come out of the woodwork and people are going to be talking about them and it's happening. It's it's happening. People love, love this team. I've heard from so many people this year 
people I even know are Orioles fans that love this team and that are coming to games and it's infectious. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really fun to be a part of this. All right. Last thing, Kevin, before we let you go, Kevin Brown from mm. ESPN joining us here on the other box podcast. Uh, we've already got you tapped. I'm sure all your the... listeners were waiting for Orioles conversation. Oh, oh yeah, that, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there are some sneaky Orioles fans in <laughs> mm-hmm. the Bama fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we've already got you tabbed for at least one, if not multiple, appearances on Out of the Box Office, our off-season movie pod series. I want you for the top 10 movies of the year pod that we'll do, okay. uh, and maybe something else down the road. Because I've usually seen none of them. So Tom's like, what well. is a tar? Right, I don't uh, know what that So is. <laughs> what would be your pick? for that pod that you would want to dissect? And also, what have you seen great lately? Well, last night, in fact, not planned because it was coming on this podcast, we had a, had a lovely night off. My wife and I went to see Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Thrilling, funny, moving, as much so as the first one, which I thought was a genuine masterpiece of animation. and comic book storytelling. Uh, this is just as thrilling. It uh, These movies really look like no other animated movies I've ever seen. I mean, it, it is genuinely a comic book come to life. And this one even plays with the form a little bit more. Um, the voice cast is incredible. The supporting turn. There's just so many gags in this movie. And then there are some moments where there's not a joke for five minutes. And it's like, this is a movie about how hard it is to be a parent. And it really just hits you right in the heart. Um, uh, oof, maybe the best movie I've seen this year. I really, really loved wow. it. Um, boy, what the hell else have I seen this year that I think is quite that good? I did recently uh, see Guardians Three. I like that a lot. I know, I know, Tom, you saw Guardians Three. I did. Right? Yes, I heard. Did you like it? I did. Uh, never have I cried over an otter before, but uh, <laughs> oh, the otter just killed me. Yeah. So, but yeah. Oh, the so... other thing I saw this year. I'm going through my list. My other favorite movie of the year was uh, was John Wick 4, which mm. is just a genuine masterpiece of action cinema. Like an honest-to-God action movie epic. It's basically Lawrence of Arabia meets John Woo movies meets, like, there's a Buster Keaton-inspired sequence. And the first three Wick movies are pretty lean. I think they're all pretty close to two hours. I think the first one is sub-two. Second one's maybe like 159. This is two and a half, 240, and it earns it. It mm-hmm. it earns it. It just the the action cinematography in his movies is just mind-boggling. And it will make you never want to see a Marvel movie again because <laughs> there are these long takes. Keanu Reeves is just in the center of the frame for 90% of these shots. So you know he did almost all of his own stunts. Um and then when you know about stunt doubles and quick cuts you can watch a lot of action movies a lot differently oh that's not really that person this is really keanu and these movies are i i I just they're i think this is my favorite franchise going right now is the wick franchise so wick four saw that at an alamo draft house in austin texas after an oklahoma state texas game a few weeks back packed screening uh friday night got some popcorn Got some food, got a lovely local Austin beer. Had a fantastic time. 
Fantastic time. And then last night, just Spider-Verse with a big old bag of popcorn and some Sour Patch Kids. Sounds better than when Gray and I went and saw uh, Endgame in College Station and the tornado hit about a mile away and knocked the power out. Right, Right at the big climax no and literally it, captain america says avengers and done yeah no so it was oh and i had seen God. it up to that point this was tom's first yeah. viewing and so then it was two weeks later before i was able to finally find out what happened at the end of endgame did you go back no be, like we were there for the sec tournament and we got a rain check but we didn't realize the rain check was only like for the next day and we weren't able to go back we that playing. day oh, we were God. playing so yeah and then we oh. had all, then we had you know the world series and everything so it was after everything happened before i could finally go and see the oh end oh my god uh which did the good, you the good guys won spoiler alert did you walk in with like 30 minutes to go in the movie then no i mean no i wouldn't watch the whole thing again did. <laughs> yeah oh, it, it was great it was great oh, I could not, believe, not only did the floor go out at the very climax like everyone's about to come back done also not the first or only <laughs> time where the power went out while tom and i were at a movie theater watching a marvel movie yeah that so, has happened multiple what? times yeah if, if you, that's if never you want, happened to me if I you want think. calamity to happen have me and gray go see a marvel movie together i think the it. only time i've had like a projector issue was was seeing the jim carrey grinch as a kid which is <laughs> fine yeah um you know in retrospect wow <laughs> That is that's yeah. great. I can't believe that happened at that yeah. moment. Uh, oh man. Yeah, I'll never Thanos knocked it. the power out. <laughs> no. Speaking of inevitable in Oklahoma, <laughs> yeah. Thanos. Patty uh, Gasso. Right. Boom. Collecting all the rings and stones oh, and whatnot. My gosh. But when we have you on though, what is what movie do you want to dissect? What do you want to do out of the box office on? Like a favorite of movie. Any or, movie ever. Any like most of mine come from like the eighties and nineties. But what oh, what gosh. what do you think? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we can just do a full pod on July twenty first. Oppenheimer. Should we get the Oppenheimer Barbie double? <laughs> I mean, you tell me. You want to? You want to dive deep into like Social Network or Apocalypse Ooh. Now or what? I would do Social Social Network. Network sounds great. good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, we can do that. We can do, again. Great. Sky's the limit. We can do as many pods as we want. It's the yeah. off season, and you yeah, know, for us, hey, you're still a million podcasts isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion podcasts. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> right. Uh, ESPN's Kevin Brown joining us here on the Other Box Podcast. Kevin, this was a treat. Uh, what a guy, Kevin Brown, joining us here on the show. Thanks, what a guy. Kevin. I'm going to change you in my phone to Gray. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. What a pod. What a guy, Kevin Brown. Great stuff. We do consider people friends that maybe we only see every, you know, just see them at the ballpark every once yeah, in a while. But like the one dinner yeah, a year. Sure. But yeah, it was, uh, and great stuff there from Kevin. Really enjoyed hearing his uh, his perspective on a lot of things because, you know, we're we're you know, embedded with Alabama. So we, we sometimes don't see it with the, the full eagle-eyes view that some of these other people do. So it was re- really great to hear from Kevin on that. Yeah, and especially since Kevin is kind of new on the scene a little bit. He talked about it. I mean, he's only been doing the World Series other session besides BMO and Smitty and the gang uh, for a couple years now. But he is witnessing one of the craziest runs that we've ever seen in the history of this war. And frankly, I mean, this year, the World Series, games-wise, there weren't a lot of storylines, but personnel-wise, 
this year and the last few years, we've seen some of the most compelling World Series ever. Yeah, for sure. We, we've seen, I mean, Odyssey, Montana. Yeah. Like, look at what has happened the last few years. Oh yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been quality TV. That's why that's why the ratings keep going up. Yeah, and the movie pods are just going to be epic. Oh I mean, man, I have not seen the newest John Wick. I I don't know if I've ever seen a full John Wick movie. Really? I, I I'm not anti them. I just haven't. Well, and here's the thing, and then we'll go to break and get sure. ready to head home. Of course. It's really hard in season for me to see movies. The other night I went to the lake to spend some time with the dogs and actually see some family for the first time in months. But most importantly, the dogs. Yes, of course. Cash and Oliver have my heart, just like Team 27. But I finally watched Air, which was great. Yeah. I I loved Air. I need to see that. And uh, I'm really excited to finally get a chance to go see Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse soon. And there are a couple movies that that have come out recently that I haven't gotten a chance to go look at. It was by sheer luck of scheduling and by not having to travel before the World Series that I got to go see Guardians 3 a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm excited to do that movie pod with Kevin because, again, we won't cover it here on this show, but it's actually going to be a pretty fire movie year. There's a lot of good stuff. Might I remind everybody that Killers of the Flower Moon is coming? Just, Mm. I'm pumped. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Sounds good. And, you know, and we can go see Killers of the Flower Moon because it's not Marvel. That's true. If anything, because it's directed by Martin Scorsese, it is as anti-Marvel as any movie that will be coming out this year. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Shall we head home? Please. Okay. Wow. Okay. Big more, Tom. Let's go. It's got to get time on the podium. Yeah, it's time. Tom's Hungry Podium, all-name team, off the wall. That's next here on the Other Box Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, home stretch, season five finale, out of the box podcast. We're heading home uh, from the season. Yeah, wow. Ooh, Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, are you ready to have some fun? Yes, it's softball, blah, 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 food. Yes, here we go. This is where we look at all the lists that we have compiled in various categories mm-hmm. and pick the best. Wow. And we start with the Tom's Hungry Podium. Do we need to go over where we went in Oklahoma City before we do the podium? I mean, we can. Cattleman's was sure. great. Uh, yeah. Is there any others that you want to highlight beyond Cattleman's or even expand upon Cattleman's? Sure. Yeah, Cattleman's was amazing. You know, we we went through it, if you listen to the previous podcast, when from Oklahoma City. Which a lot of people like, by the way. We'll do a little bit more of that next year. Right. So you, you heard about our trip to Cattleman's, our trip to uh, Red Rock Canyon. So you've already heard about that. Uh, Murph mentioned, and the shout out again to Rendezvous Pizza, went there a couple of times, actually got both the Detroit and the New York style pizza. So tried them both. Also the Brickyard Brewery, which was connected to Rendezvous, uh, got some really good wings there. And then uh, the barbecue, you did not go there. When somebody on the trip is literally a barbecue competition judge, you're going to go to the barbecue place with them. Yeah. So I went with Drew and Stu. Shout out to the claw. To the claw. Yes. 
Uh, so really good barbecue there, hole in the wall spot in OKC. So uh, ate well in Oklahoma City. As sure. we always do. Indeed. All right. We'll start with bronze. A lot of great contenders this year. There are a couple hard cuts. And yeah. in the past, I've gone with ties for bronze. This year, I said, we got to quit with the foolishness, Gray. Wow. Not everybody can win an award. <laughs> but we will definitely do some honorable mentions after we're done. If Absolutely. Uh, my bronze medalist is Wrights in Fayetteville. Ooh. Wrights okay. Barbecue. All right. I had an incredible pulled pork sandwich. I ate a lot. I also got the pulled pork nachos. The mac and cheese was phenomenal. Wrights is no stranger to Tom's Hungry, but this year, for whatever reason, that meal set itself apart and uh, comes in as the bronze medalist for Gray Robertson. I can see how it got there again because it was at the end of our trip in, in Fayetteville. So much had happened. Oh my gosh. And we were in, but to be able to cap it off with a trip to one of the best barbecue joints, it was outstanding. I, I'm, I'm happy with that pick for you. My bronze, I'm going to go somewhere. We've been there before. It hasn't made the podium before, but I'm going there for its simplicity, the ambiance, and goodness gracious, just you can't do much better than a good old-fashioned cheeseburger and or hot dog sandwich. So I am going to go with Bucci's from Columbia, Missouri as my bronze medalist. Okay. A lot of these places we go, like if I lived there, I wouldn't go there all the time because there's you know it's it's heavy or there's a lot of stuff like if i lived in columbia missouri i would be going to bucci's like two three times a week and i I thought it needed representation it gets my bronze couldn't agree more my silver i'm going to cheat a little bit for my silver (gasps) and i'm going to go with a tie wow okay The, the tie for the silver medal is going to go on two of our home trips Mm. the the shipmans and the fouts's uh again at the shipmans every smoked meat you could possibly want plus homemade banana pudding homemade bread they had everything at this place again that i am 100 in on a shipman family restaurant we will invest we yes. want to be able to invest a lot but we will no, invest i have a cool crisp 20 dollars bill i will put in visit britain uh, yes to, to come in uh so uh the shipments and then the trip to the fouts estate was outstanding can't beat a uh a good old steak uh, and they did, they did up every type of salad and dessert you could possibly want and almost got killed in fireworks. But other than that, it was a great time. What, that will also go in the book, <laughs> by <Right>. the way. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Again, a little bit of a cheat, but I'm going to do a tie for the silver with the Shipman and the Fouts family. I love that. My silver, the Columbia in oh. Tampa. Yes. Apps for days, salad for days. Uh, we I don't even know if we actually talked about the entrees on the pod. <laughs> they were phenomenal as well. And uh, I can't wait to go to whatever version of the Columbia that we find this summer, whether it be the one in Tampa. Apparently, there's one in Sarasota, which we will be very close to. Really? And there's one. Yeah, there's one close to where we've spent oh. the last couple summers, which is <laughs> absurd. How have I never been I before? I, I Google one thing. I mean, I love the seafood restaurant that we go to often. Sure, but, yeah, uh, yeah. The Columbia should have been something on our radar much earlier. Indeed. And I'm, I'm glad it is. Uh, we've already talked up Jordan Stevens. Thank you to the Stevens family for taking us mm-hmm. to this place. And also, speaking of ambiance, the, the dancing that we got, uh, flamenco style yeah. from the restaurant and just the hospitality given. We were given the back room of a very, very busy restaurant on the weekend yeah and i just i really appreciated the entire experience so the columbia is my silver medalist my gold the shipman family 
homestead. <laughs> you talked about it. Every kind of meat possible. Turkey, yeah, here are three yeah. different kinds of turkey. Ribs? <laughs> we have ribs. Right. Pulled pork. The sides, I think, were really spectacular as well. And then uh, the snickerdoodle cookies. Mm. Just just the entire thing. I mean, the, the story of it as well, how everybody pitched in. I'll never forget Ali Shipman's nephew literally baking sourdough bread. Just so, so much goodness in that house that night. And uh, I really really appreciated everything that the shipments did on that return trip and as we said earlier we'll invest yes i don't know how much but whatever you shipments want to do with your various barbecuing skills we in 100 percent. all right tom your gold medal for tom's hungry yes gold medal for tom's hungry 2023 it got your silver but it's got my gold i'm gonna go with the columbia Again, it was in the it was in the clubhouse early. You know, yeah. it, it had to fight off so many contenders to stay at the top. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. The Columbia salad uh, is just if you like the best salad I've ever had. Entrees, the appetizers. Uh, when you have to sell them, no more appetizers because I'm not gonna be able to eat my entree if because they're so good. I'm gonna continue to eat those. Oh, bacon wrapped scallops. Oh, so good. Hello. Um, and then you know the. Leche cake at the end was outstanding. The ambiance, as you mentioned, the the dancing, you know, being able to go back to the barn where they have the pictures of the people that have been there for a hundred years or so coming through. Just a just a great overall spot there in Tampa and uh, the Columbia. Got in the clubhouse early and was able to hold on to the gold. Just pushed away the the fighters, the people who were trying to sneak in. Rory McIlroy tried to make a run, but no. <laughs> Scotty Seffler says, no, thank you. I hate them. I hate them. I know they will go away <laughs> at lightning delays. Yes. Uh, this is not a surprise. You know, this is the first time in three years we haven't had the same gold medalist, but your gold is my silver and my gold is your silver. Yes. Okay. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Um, and uh, other great places as well. Let me tell you, I really, really wanted to get Dave's Dark Horse Tavern uh, and Starkville on this list. I yeah, That was the one that was is my number one uh, honorable mention. Dave's Dark Horse Tavern, again, may be the best wings I've ever had in my life. Mm, I, I'm uh, amazed that it's not on yours. Yeah, I almost did a tie there, but I couldn't do two ties. So <laughs> Be excessive. Yes, but it is my number one honorable mention. I had Tudor's Biscuit World on there. No, oh, no yeah. breakfast represented for either of us for the first time in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Tudor's was definitely on on the on the discussion spot as well. We needed to hit a, a few more breakfast spots. We'll we'll have to work on that for next year. Yeah. The other, I mean, several really good pizza spots that we went to. Again, Rendezvous was was in my in my purview possibility. Uh, Shakespeare's in Columbia is always really good. First watch, which. Not really, not necessarily an Oxford only spot. It seemed to be in a lot of places that we went to. Maybe the biggest revelation of the year. Yeah. Was first watch. Yeah, that, yeah. We hit there both Knoxville and Oxford. I can't, I can't complain about anywhere we went to. Uh, they were all outstanding. I mean, I can complain about one. Well, yeah, but I won't. And maybe that is why Lytton's from Knoxville oh, is not on my list. Yeah. Again, you know, if you're going just for the best cheeseburger, Lytton's definitely is right there, neck and neck with uh, with Bucci's. This was a great year. Oh, my God. Look at the places that we went. Tom's Hungry. How will next year even compare? I don't know. People have to, <laughs> to really set their game up. Coach Murphy said we're opening in Atlanta. so Atlanta's got some good spots. Hey, uh, Coach Morales, let's let's get the list going now. Right. If you don't mind. Add out of the box underscore pod, please. Yes, 
So are we going to have to now have them on, you know, Georgia Tech during media days? Maybe, maybe, maybe so. I mean, we know that they're going, that we're going. There. We've talked about it. You know, we're going to do the mystery 14th school. Maybe it'll be Georgia Tech this yeah, year. We'll see. Who knows? Shout out to Steph in Memphis, our mystery 14th school last year. And soon it'll be a mystery 16th school. <laughs> My gosh, we're going to be zooming uh, for the rest of our lives. Yes. So there we go. Podiums. Tom's hungry. For posterity again, your podium. My podium, bronze rights in Fayetteville, silver, the Columbia in Tampa, and gold, the Shipman household, and all that they offered us. <laughs> yeah, my bronze is Bucci's in Columbia, silver, a tie between the Shipman and Fouts family on their, on their home trips, and my gold was the Columbia in Tampa. We also said a lot of names, mm. and this is the most substantial all-name team Goodness gracious. ever. Wow. We, we voted on it. And uh, these are all the people who made the list. <laughs> so how it'll work is I'll read all the names. And then, Tom, you will pick a, a top three. And then we will decide a winner okay. from that. All right. So here we go. Your 2023 all-name team started off with a bang with Carly Baryak-Tarvich from Lehigh. Boo. I mean, okay. Sorry. Oh, come on. Yeah. Krista Duenas from Lehigh. Boo. Oh. <laughs> Olivia Creamer, Georgia Southern. Giselle Tapia, Duke. Francesca Freelick, Duke. Cassidy Curd, Duke. Charlize Palacios, UCLA. Janelle Mionio, UCLA. Elise Volpe, UCF. Shannon Doherty, UCF. You gotta love the classics. Michaela Macario, UCF. Stacy Deputy, Kennesaw State. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bailey Krolchik, Southern or Southeastern Louisiana. Abby Chips. Indiana State, Lorna Agron, Southern Miss, Elena Kutsajani, Robert Morris, Meadow Sakadura, Robert Morris, Jaden Pone, Longwood, who's actually portaling right now, Riley Hickok, Mercer, Rissa Baez, spelled B-A-J-U-S-Z, Western Michigan, Katie Simis, Texas, Sierra Trahan, Texas State, Katarina Zarate, Texas State, Skylar Serdashny, Wisconsin, Kristana Angelopoulos, FGCL, mm -hmm. and Wisconsin, Peyton Monticelli, Peyton. I believe it's Monticelli, it could be Monticelli, she didn't throw against us, uh, Wisconsin, Italia Rijo, Arkansas, Sarah Cespedes, UAB, Lair Boutte, Portaling, Tennessee, uh, Zeta Puni, Tennessee, Tom, do you want to say these next two? Julia Katsoyanopoulos from Tennessee and Jamison Brockenbro, Tennessee. That'll probably be the last time you have to say them back to back for a couple months. Please, please, please. Somehow we'll play Tennessee next week. <laughs> I don't know. Julia Desiderio, South Carolina. Aquana Brownlee, Mississippi State. Chloe Malaulu, Mississippi State. Matalasi Fapito, Mississippi State. Bub Faringa, Marshall. Isis Trezvik. Auburn, Macy, Bajeron, LSU, Mackenzie Rudity, LSU, Mari Narvais, Long Island, Savannah Behabits, shout out to Allie, Middle Tennessee, Kansas Robinson from Northwestern, and from Stanford, River Mailer. Wow. All right. What a year of names, Tom. How do you even pick the top three? Uh, I think I'm going to go with one of these because she faced Montana. Kansas Robinson. Yeah. Kansas and Montana facing off. Got to have Macy Bajeron on there. 
And from Robert Morris, Lania Kutsujani. So we've got Elena Kutsujani, Macy Bajeron, <laughs> and Kansas Robinson. Uh, the winner from Robert Morris is Elena Kutsujani. Wow. I think. Do you agree? I was, I was thinking Macy. Are you Macy? Macy? I was thinking yeah, Macy. but Macy will have more chances. Okay. We're going to play her All right. again. That's true. I don't know the next time Robert Morris is on the schedule. Uh, will they become the Illinois State to our Florida? Who knows? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Just that classic rivalry. Right, yes. Uh, Elena Kutsujani, your winner. But uh, finalists, Kutsujani, Macy Bajeron, and Kansas Robinson from Northwestern. I like it. Great name year. It, it was. A, a great food and great name year for 2023 also a great year to clap back at the haters oh my gosh for one final time in season five play the drop it's time for off the wall stop complaining when we win you know differentiating between facts and opinions people i've seen enough to know that i've seen too much the conspiracy heard round the facebook get your tinfoil hats out let people enjoy things First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, before I uh, pull out some of the receipts here on Off the Wall, Tom, Anything in particular that you would like to express from maybe the Women's College World Series? Well, I would just say in general, stop making complete declarative statements based for an entire season based on one maybe bad day or one bad weekend. Because uh, I think Team 27 showed that a loss here and there isn't always the absolute worst thing in the world. Yeah, you want to win every game. Even Oklahoma this year, who might have had the greatest team in the history of softball, did lose a game. They, they did. They did not go undefeated. Shouts to Baylor. <laughs> yes. Your rings you. are in the mail. <laughs> thank you to Baylor. We're obviously going to talk about it here with with the receipts and everything else. So uh, I'll, I'll just I'll sit back and listen and okay. chime in. All right, here we go. Uh, just a couple of the greatest hits mm. from this season. These are comments that I saved. I have all the names if you want them. Going to have to say it's going to be a down year. Maybe more losses than expected. Not a down year. Roughly 300 teams that would love to have been in the position Alabama was this year. Yeah. Will they be ranked after week two? Yes. Yeah. Stayed ranked all season, yeah. actually. Uh, no power hitter again this year. Uh, that was after a game where Prangy hit a home run. And I think actually Prangy, by being top 10 nationally, I think, certainly was uh, up there in terms of people at the Women's College World Series. In home run number, she was highly ranked in the SEC. I think actually bringing poop, she was a power hitter. Also, the uh, I love the caveat of hitter again this year, mm. uh, just as if Bailey Hempel didn't exist. Mm. That was not that long ago. No. <laughs> think it's time for Montana to take up coaching or broadcasting. Mm. She literally refused to do that no. with, as Kevin described, a season-ending-esque <laughs> injury that she came back from two weeks later. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> No, she is not going to go into broadcasting or coaching while she still has eligibility left. Uh, crazy. Oh, all the people that basically said, like, from the jump, it was time to move on from Murph. I just, yeah. no. I think the way that this team came together 
and everything else, like Patrick Murphy was the unique one person that could have taken this team to the World Series. Yeah. It, it took a lot and we got there. Yeah. Just my opinion, but this looks like it could be a bad year for Alabama softball. Mm. No, World this, Series. Never, the, not a bad year when you go to the World Series. No, this season, Bama will drop out of a top 25 for the first time in a long time. They did not. No, I think the lowest they got was 18. Yeah. Which is not close to the cut line. No. Uh, way to go. When every good team is at Mary Nutter this weekend, Alabama's at home playing D2 schools, LOL. What was the big reason why Alabama was the five seed besides winning the key games that they played? What was it, Tom? Uh, they played a lot of good teams. They yeah. had a great strength of schedule. Top 10, non-con SOS. Right. So. And you can't say that about the Mary Nutter. The week after Alabama played in Clearwater yeah. against teams the caliber of UCF, Duke, UCLA, and Florida State. Uh, buckle up, people. We may not win an SEC game not this one. year. Went, went 0, 0 and 18 was going to be what was going to happen. Yep, totally. Mm-hmm. By season's end, they will be out of a top 25. No. And, unfortunately, no. And uh, that guy who said that, uh, a reminder, I found your Twitter, buddy, and I see your activity has not ceased mm. on what you are commenting on and liking. Wow. Uh, I, I would recommend not. People can see that. People Sir. are aware. Yeah. I was showing it to a, to somebody, I think one of our media friends, talking about this person while I was reading the receipts to him, and we pulled up his Twitter, and it was like, perv, 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 comment on Alabama softball, perv, perv, perv. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Uh, Broski, we can see it. Yeah. Uh, here we go. One of my favorites. Uh, they just can't get any hits and are making so many errors. What's up with that? I've canceled my trip to Oklahoma already. No way this team is going. I don't think they will make it through the SEC tournament. Hope you got a really good refund or yeah. that you were just texting and typing and not actually canceling thanks. because uh, we were in Oklahoma City. Well, yeah, well, thanks for opening up a, uh, a hotel room for somebody that would appreciate it. Maybe us. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. Uh, and also, what do you mean don't make it through the SEC tournament? Like what? You know, only one only one team wins it. Like, <laughs> like everybody makes it. I mean, I, what, what, are, what are we talking about? Yeah, I have no idea. That makes no sense. Uh, Fouts pitching again. She going to worn out come postseason WTF. A lot of emojis in there right. as well. You know what pitchers do? They pitch in games. <laughs> kind of what, it's kind of their, their thing. And especially someone like Montana. Again, by the way, got a big knee brace to be able to pitch at the end, not because of overuse. Like, that wasn't a use injury that Montana had. Mm. This is the worst Bama team I've ever seen. Where have you been? No. Because last year didn't make it out of regionals. Yeah. And again, there was an Alabama team years and years ago that finished under 500. Right. So that was very early stages of the program. But, uh, I mean, if we're if we're going to be real here, under 500, probably the worst Alabama team in, in life, history. Yeah, very likely. I love this one, uh, talking about the complaints of a game. So glad I didn't waste my money coming to Tuscaloosa. Pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. And yesterday, too, I think that was the Auburn series. This person also made a lot of positive comments at the end. And I just, you know, it's a long season. I would just recommend everybody buttress at times. Right. Things aren't always going to go perfectly. And, yeah, you were upset at Auburn. Uh, which team was playing in Oklahoma City? This team is awful. Will be one and done in regional play. Again, impossible. impossible. But, Literally can't happen. But also got to the World Series. Yeah. Uh, all the people who were talking about Montana not being ready in Supers, uh, I think she proved that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about next year. 
And we talked about that. Anytime Montana would do anything good, people would be like, oh, what would they be without Alabama? Or what would Alabama be without Montana? I got a lot of people asking me about that. And my response was always, it's not a big deal because right. Montana's on the team. Well, then Montana went down and you can make the argument Alabama played their best team softball of the year right? when Montana was out or not 100%. So if that's the thing that you're concerned about, I think you got to at least feel like the team can believe that they can win without Montana right. and the pieces will be put put in place to make that happen. I also, I mean, I feel bad for those people. Anytime Montana did something good, it was, well, what would be, we be without Montana? Because I don't think they fully appreciated what Montana was doing. Right. You know, Montana's don't grow on trees. No. It's not normal. You, we no. talked about this. It's not normal to get an ode from ESPN when your career ends. Right. Uh, we talked about it in the postgame show. There was like a full three minute conversation about Montana. Kelly Barnhill didn't even get that. Yeah. And Kelly Barnhill had statistically about as dominant a career as Montana did. Yeah. This was a team that went 0-2 in the in the World Series. And, yeah. You know, they're talking about her more than they were talking about Stanford after that game. I don't see that in other sports and other aspects. I don't see people saying, as Bryce Young is winning the Heisman Trophy, what would Alabama be without Bryce Young? No, you just you appreciate you have him. Yeah. Uh it just I don't understand that mindset. And like I said, I think people that were talking like that and, and thinking that way, we're not appreciating what they were watching as it was happening. Well, and the, and the other the other one would be, one is you shouldn't be commenting all this negative stuff on Alabama's uh, posts if you're an Alabama fan to begin with. But then I've seen Alabama fans, whenever somebody else would post something about Alabama, something about Montana, something positive, they would, then post there as well something negative and like we don't we don't need it here but we don't need you spreading it to other people why are we using well? copy and paste so much yeah it's like come on you, you uh, used it once we saw yeah. it fine you don't have to put it on yeah. every single post so once again you we could have an, an unexpressed thought if it's something that that is negative i'm not saying you have to be you know 100% cheery and positive all the time if you're if you're not feeling it just don't post anything yeah just don't it's you're allowed to not comment that is a that is a certain certainly a thing you can do also i, I enjoyed uh seeing somebody talk about how uh they thought that you know didn't know what this was after the montana injury you're looking at regionals and the thought was man i just don't think jayla's got it mm. oh yeah yeah her confidence is Confid shot Tom. confidence was shot mm. And like, said it declaratively, not right. I think, not yeah. I'm concerned, knows like yeah. this is the case. This is absolutely the case because I am there and know her, but you don't. If if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Oh, Tom, no. Yeah. yeah. Hitting them. Mm. Supposed to learn that in kindergarten. Well, sometimes we have to speak like that yeah. to people. It's true. Uh also, I want to make sure that we give out kudos as well. Uh, we've talked about it a lot this year. A lot of great defenders who didn't overreact to every single thing on comments after games uh, who who I think continued to believe. And even though that there were times when a lot of people didn't believe in this team, there were some people out there who did. And then when the run happened, those believers kind of got more people to buy in. And, and I think everybody's got to remember, like, a lot of the stuff, the team isn't reading your comments, but they can feel the vibes. They right. can they can feel some of the things that are being said 
at games or coming into games like they're the Alabama fan base is very vocal and wherever you are saying certain things uh, that noise can sometimes creep in and I thought this team did a great job shutting out the noise a lot of teams struggle with doing that not necessarily just at Alabama but across the country I mean the one thing that Oklahoma has talked a lot about is how much pressure their fan base put on them this year they were able to excel despite that but it's still very much a thing you know sometimes maybe you just don't contribute to that noise would be what i would suggest right because 95 98 of everything that is said and put out there is positive and is is constructive and not saying that there's not times where things are frustrating but there's no reason to attribute to the three to five percent that are going to be unhappy regardless right We've had those difficult conversations on this pod about what needs to work, what needs to be fixed, and there will be difficult conversations I'm sure that we will have in summer episodes and going into next year. Because as great as the run was, there are things that need to be adjusted going forward. And Patrick Murphy knows that based on the conversations that we had. The goal is to win the World Series, not just to make it. Uh, So, yeah, there's obviously things you would like to have seen or like to have done differently. uh, But that doesn't mean, one, you can't appreciate what you've done because there are over 300 and only one gets to celebrate at the end. Uh, But the fact that you are in that conversation year in and year out proves that things are done overall right. If there's anything that needs to be changed, it's just going to be a tweak. It's not going to be an overhaul. Right. A reminder, three teams ever have made the World Series more than they have not. UCLA, Arizona, and Alabama. Right. That's not an accident. No. Uh, season five is done. We will have some summer stuff. What those shows will be, I'm not sure. We will be doing summer softball, but in separate spots. So maybe when we reconvene somewhere, we'll we'll put together a show of some kind. And there will be a lot of off-season news to discuss. Alabama nationally, uh, AUX is about to start with Athletes Unlimited. Uh, full season coming up in just a few months. The WPF is going. Again, we've got FGCL and MCCL and a lot of softball things in this off-season that along with the portal, once again, proved that there is no such thing as the offseason anymore. Yeah, you got all the pro pro leagues going. Alabama players are playing in some of those. Uh, we mentioned Ashley Prangy playing for the Florida Vibe, so we're going to be talking about her. Alabama going to Italy. Uh, we got, you know, Montana Fouts. We don't know what her status is with her knee injury as far as what she's going to be able to do with Team USA, but she's going to be making those trips, and we'll be talking about that as well. So a lot going on. Uh, between now and when fall ball gets underway. Yeah, and some food stuff out of the box office, you know, all the usual fun things, maybe a little surprise pod with a past guest and a special guest. We'll see. Yeah. I don't want to tease too much because that would literally blow the surprise. Right, yeah. All all the stuff, just keep the feed open. Yeah. Follow us at Out of the Box on Twitter or Tom, your Twitter. At T Canterbury RTR, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. Or me, at Gray, G-R-A-Y, underscore Robertson. If you want to hear from us, check us out. Athletes Go Live will have all the summer softball games, both collegiate and pro. So lots of ways to tune in. Yep, we'll be uh, hitting up some more softball. And then uh, before we know it, soccer and everything else will be rolling again. And we, it, all, it all gets started once once we get uh, it gets back into August. Start making volleyball boards again. Mm, yeah. And- all that fun stuff. Still following baseball. Hopefully the tie can make a run there. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. As we record tomorrow, as you're probably listening, Alabama Wake Forest is probably done. <laughs> In fact, this podcast might have taken the entire Super Regional Series. Right. Who's to say? 
Thank you to Kevin Brown from ESPN for joining us. Thank you again to, to Patrick Murphy for so many things, but also uh, in particular for hopping on this pod with us, even whilst traveling. Tom, we have done it. Season five is over. What a year. What a year. This is a, this was a very memorable pod year. Had some of our biggest numbers. Thank you to everybody out there who tuned in. But also, in terms of content, a year that we will never forget, both for Alabama, but also uh, the entire sport of softball as it continues to grow. Rest for a couple weeks and get rolling again. What do you mean a couple weeks? I leave on Monday. Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) What are you talking about? Oh, man. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Season 5 of the Out of the Box Podcast. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. And Season 6 has a nice ring to it. Sounds good to me. We're all here. Keep it rolling. Let's just do it. That'll be it for us. Enjoy the off-season. Stay up to date on all the news on our Twitters and all the various people who do a great job actually reporting the sport of softball and not the nameless and faceless. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you in Season 6, Season 5 out here on the Out of the Box Podcast.